On this episode, we discuss being the Ricardos. The long-awaited third chapter in the Ing trilogy, after chasing Amy and finding Forrester. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey, I didn't see you come in there. It's me, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> Stuart, this is my apartment. Is- <laughs> I'm, I'm Ellie Kalen, wondering if Stuart was talking to Dan or to the listeners, or perhaps to our guest, our very special guest this week, Allison Rosen, the host of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, co-host of Childish and host of the new podcast, Upworthy Weekly, your place for positive things every Saturday. It's Allison Rosen, as mentioned in the previous part of the sentence. Allison, thank you for joining us. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to come in hot and say, my understanding (laughs) is you Uh have a guest that is like everyone's favorite and I am gunning. I mean, I was about to say for second favorite, but I don't know why I'm like handicapping myself. I don't, but because she's so beloved, I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but like, I am trying to displace her. Okay. Yeah. Or just, Shoot for you know the, what? Just be an all. Just be an alternate favorite. <laughs> Shoot for the moon and reach the stars, which doesn't make sense because the stars are further out than the moon. But right, I think. Well, that's you're the, the one who said it, Dan. So are you debunking isn't yourself? The, isn't that the saying though? Like Shoot I feel like that. Is I always thought the, the saying was reach for the moon, but at least you'll hit a very tall mountain. Okay. <laughs> As if you your plane shoot crashes. for the moon, but reach for the stars, you're gonna be like, I am lost. <laughs> yeah. My navigation yes. system was incorrect, and now I'm Wildly just in orbit. Yeah, wrong. very dangerous. Well, you're off to a great start. Uh, there's, I think, there's <laughs> a real you. chance that Hallie's going to have to come back and and reclaim her crown at some That's point. That's right. You know, title, yeah. Yeah. As Flophouse yeah. star. Yeah. Uh, and so what, I don't really what do we? Th- uh, oh. What do we? Uh, what do we? Uh, what do we do here, Dan? <laughs> Stuart, are you? Are you? Is is the spirit of Norm Macdonald, rest in peace, uh, has he just entered your body? Because it's very normal. Stuart is so that. concerned with, like, setting the stage for what the podcast is and mm-hmm. being professional mm-hmm. that he forgets that what people like about the show is the nonsense. People he, like this show? <laughs> Stuart, Stuart took a moment from uh, sipping what appears to be just molten chocolate out of a, out of a huge <laughs> cup to make sure yeah. that we set up the show. This so is, might as well this do is it. A, yeah. So this is a protein smoothie that Stuart made at Henderlands before coming here. Yeah, yeah. And then he arrived with it. He asked, uh, he's like, can I, do I have a, can I have a knife to punch a hole in the Dan top? got very nervous. <laughs> well, <laughs> is no, there more liquid you, in it or is it just uh-huh, the protein yeah. powder? Yeah, I'm just slurping dry protein powder. <laughs> My mouth is the fucking Sahara right yeah, now. He calls it a protein <laughs> pixie stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. So Allison, protein shakes. Yes. Pro or con. Uh, you know, I am pro for other people. Myself, I'm not really a protein shake gal. I feel like, and Stuart, I don't know what your, you know, regimen is, but mm-hmm. I feel like if you're going to suck down a protein shake, then you should be following it up with some kind of reps or things where you're grunting. And I don't oh, like to do any of oh, that. Oh, oh. There's a lot he of will. reps and grunting. Yeah, he loves he things where he... Uh, grunts. I and he loves my, putting him on t- TikTok. He even loves the <laughs> yeah. Brothers Grunt, one of MTV's least popular television shows. Uh, so, Stuart, you mentioned what do we do on this podcast? Clearly, what we do is we talk about protein shakes. Welcome to the Shake House. Yep. Uh, I was mainly, it was just one of those bids for attention I yeah. do here. 
we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. In this case, we watched Being the Ricardos, which has uh, been nominated for multiple Academy Awards. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, there there are mostly acting. There are th- mm. three acting what? awards. Oh, I entirely think. acting awards. Yeah. Three acting awards, and I honestly like the acting in this movie. Maybe you guys will argue with me. I like the performances. I don't think that's where the the fault lies. Uh, so. I know. I think if if I have any, I really like a lot of Nicole Kidman's performance. I don't like that she's performing it beneath several inches of drywall that have been a. Applied to her face with some sort of spackling to trowel. make her look like Lucille Ball, but uh, she does. She looks like the statue of Lucille Ball that yeah. was removed because it was such a was so inhuman. Like I, my issue with Nicole Kidman was that I think that she would have been better in it without makeup to look like Lucille Ball. Like yeah. was I she just, wearing prosthetics as well? She was. Okay, because this was one of Nicole Kidman's roles where she puts on makeup and goes too far with it. Like in uh, The Hours a little bit, we're in Destroyer. We're in Destroyer, she's supposed to look like someone who's been through she a rough time. She looks amazing in Destroyer. Instead, she looks like somebody who has, who has survived like an explosion. Uh, <laughs> like in this one, she's supposed to look like Lucille Ball, but instead she looks like a, I don't, it, she looks like someone who's had- Like an animatronic had, of Lucille Ball. Yeah, she looks like a Lucille Ball at like the magical world of Disney, who is <clears> going to be like, welcome, as I show you some yeah. of my favorite- Routines. No, I agree that the what they've done to make her look like Lucy is distracting, but that her, I think her performance is strong. She acts through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But was the actual Lucille Ball humorless and self-important? Because if so, <laughs> well, she I, did nail it. I mean, I think, I, from everything I've read, she was a very difficult person to be around. <laughs> um, I don't know about humorless, but self-important, I think, some way. I think yeah. the okay. Sorkin is what you were diagnosing yes. there. Though. Yeah, this is, well, so this movie was not nominated for Best Screenplay or Director, which is accurate, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it is it, it is Aaron Sorkin playing to his faults on this, which as, I, this mm-hmm. was a comment I made before recording, and I warned you all that I would say it during recording, and now I'm saying it, we're recording it now, that Aaron Sorkin, a man who has, made multiple television shows. He wrote a Broadway show about the beginning of television and the creation of it. He is obsessed with television. He's just really fascinated by television. And yet he seems to have no idea how television works or how to at least present that in a dramatic way or a way that even feels real. Because it feels like he's he's caught up in this kind of fantasy idea of how TV works. And But especially, I guess, the problem is that Sorkin writes about characters who are all who are who are geniuses that everyone else won't believe until the last minute, and the process has to be warped around the idea. So, for instance, we'll get into the plot of this, but that like Lucille Ball is dealing with a direct a television director that nobody likes, and the whole movie and is wrong about everything and will not listen to Lucille Ball. And I was like, Lucille Ball owns the company that produces this show. Yeah. Why did they hire this guy if she hates him so much and he's so bad at his job? And like later on, she's like, we're gonna re reblock this scene and her biggest idea is to shoot it so that the characters are facing the camera and don't have their backs to the camera and it's like yeah they should have fired him the moment he blocked it this way like it's a terrible idea like it you should always see the characters faces it's so anyway there's a lot about this that uh, is uh not true to life in many ways i will i will i will be a little gentler and think that like there are moments when the the executive producers and like the higher ups are trying to put out multiple fires, which is wh- what the, which the is movie what they is do, yeah. largely about. I thought that that felt accurate to my experience, my limited experience at the one TV show under, you know, two, two bosses that like if it, that felt real ish. But then as soon as it came to the comedy stuff, it's like, wow, like like her, his vision of like someone making comedy is Nicole Kidman staring off into space for a while looking 
and like super it. intense and she's, then, she's like uh, the the what's his name from uh, Hannibal where he's yeah, like he's like imagining the design of the serial killer that's how she exactly. imagines telev- or like it's a queen's gambit way of of creating <laughs> comedy you know and yeah, then just seeing the the script <laughs> on the ceiling <laughs> yeah she takes some drugs yeah now Dan were you won over at all by the comedy drums that were pl- the comedy swing drums that were playing in many scenes <laughs> to give us the impression of energy and movement well why don't we just get into the okay, <laughs> into the we'll plot because I believe the movie starts with some comedy swing drums. Oh, boy, does it ever. So a lot of the soundtracks are dun 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 As if to tell, because it's like, come on, this is exciting comedy and, and people are troubled. So we start off, this is I mean, a It's movie kind of also, old-timey, right? It's like old-timey showbiz music. Yes, mm-hmm. it, is old, it is old-timey behind-the-scenes showbiz music, yeah. Um, the movie starts off with something that we're going to see multiple times throughout, which is, I'm not going to go in as much detail with the plot as I usually yeah, yeah. do, scene by scene, because it's, but it starts up with something that we're going to see throughout, which is, uh, the older versions of the executive producer of the show and the two writers on the show. Uh, it, the, and one of the writers is played as an old person by Linda Lavin and the other is by Ronnie Cox. So I was like, I love seeing them. Like, this is great. I love seeing yeah. them in anything. But uh, they, it, we're going to see them describe things, which we will then see in the scene afterwards, where they have added very little information we couldn't have gotten from the scene. Yes. And so they're like, hey, you know, when we were on I Love Lucy, there was this one scary week. Boy, it was scary. It was the biggest show in America. People didn't use the fucking bathroom when I Love Lucy was on. And sometimes hospitals would shut down. Like, they, they, like <laughs> the and they zoo kept animals saying, would all hide because they were watching their, sh- their TVs <laughs> and their pens, you know? Each one was like, the thing you got to understand, I'm like, fucking, I don't care anymore. Like, I don't need three <laughs> think, people to tell me the thing I need to understand. Well, but also, I think that, like, that when you reach phrase a was, was reused in multiple scenes for the first, like, 15 minutes. I'm yeah, like, I don't understand. Yes. And like, when an old person, when you reach a certain age, when you're an old person and you say those words to me, I immediately tune out. <laughs> well, and especially because all of, almost all, all of the first couple scenes, because it's not like we learn anything about the, the characters even the characters that they're that these old that these people are portraying as old people all this could have if there was a title screen if there was a text on title that just said in 1953 i love lucy was the biggest show in america that's all the information they're basically telling yeah. us that we're not I, oceans get. or battlefields that's all it means i, I to also say. <laughs> i'm gonna sound like my uh, mama told me a prophecy about it about an i love lucy show i'm gonna sound extremely uptight saying this but i do not like the device uh of actors playing like older versions of the characters as if they're being interviewed yes. for a documentary. Yeah, like no, fucking Frost Nixon. Like Frost Nixon. Yeah, Frost Nixon, they do it, it's terrible, yeah. I was I, like a dingbat enough that I thought these were the actual, like they, well, they the, it if, was believable enough that I, yeah. I, for a second I was like, wait, is this like a semi-documentary? But Madeline Pugh, played by Linda Lavin, who I believed at this point was Madeline Pugh, and I'm like, God yeah. damn, she looks so familiar. I must be familiar with the actual Madeline Pugh. I think she's been on Sesame Street. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, she looks familiar because she's Linda La... Aha, and then light yeah. bulb, I realize. Well, that's, as soon as they, as soon as, because I, I kind of half remembered Linda Levin, and then as soon as Ronnie Cox is on screen, I'm like, well, the villain yeah. for Beastmaster did not work on I Love Lucy. <laughs> like, well, but that is the thing. Like, I don't think you're a dingbat at all. That's why I'm mad at it, because these are not like, I mean, like, you know, Linda Levin was like a, a big television star in, in her day, but these are like, Character actors—they're not people right. that were imme- like audiences are immediately going to be like, "Oh, I know who that is." That's not the real person. Like, I feel like it is 
it does fool people into thinking yeah, that. Well, I, I, I want to correct something I said. Wait, I meant the villain from Total Recall. I got Beastmaster okay. in Total Recall. Ronnie Cox was not in Beastmaster. He's in Total yeah, Recall. Rip, Rip Torn, I think. Good is, save, is who you're If you hadn't boy, corrected yourself, I was gonna, lo- I was gonna leave this meeting. <laughs> I could, I could I see getting, the fire in Allison's eyes as she said, <laughs> "Unacceptable." Really, really yeah. angry. The thing no, that brought I, me to this show was a Twitter <laughs> feud that I had with Dan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is unacceptable. Um, no. I think that this device speaks to what one of the main problems I had with the whole movie, which is just, this is like the self-importance of Aaron Sorkin. That we would, you know, that to get into this story, we would need to be hearing from three people who we don't know who they are, but they're so important that they're being interviewed. And I I think that's part of it. And I think also that it is a way of paper. I feel like the more a movie does this, the more the movie is saying to you, we really fudged the historical record. So we're yes. going out of our way mm. to pretend like this is yes. accurate because we made a lot of – we really – because it, uh, and which is like a lot of the things they're dealing with in this one crazy week at I Love Lucy in reality happened over multiple years. And at one – and the thing that really bothers me is some stuff about Desi Arnaz's backstory, which they – which is – the way they present it is they're conflating two different Cuban revolutions that happened 20 years apart. So like there's things that happen in this movie that are – but it feels like they're like, look – we messed with the historical record so much, we got to have people come on and pretend to be the real people and interview them in front of the cameras so that our dumb audience thinks that this is accurate because otherwise they might start pulling the threads. The real, yeah. and the irony being one of the threads that goes through this movie is is Lucy's concern that the script is um, is insulting to the audience. Like the audience isn't so dumb. Yeah. And yet- and Sorkin yeah. thinks we, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, let's see the game they're playing. There. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to, yeah, this is a big thing that people have had a problem with the movie, so I don't want to, like, go over it too quickly, that the accusation that Lucy is a communist, the the her saying that she was pregnant and the problems that that would cause for the show, and this, the stuff about, like, you know, having trouble with, uh, like, Desi's affairs being on in the news, like those are three events that did not occur in one week that have been conflated into one week. And the movie like makes this falsehood about them being a week, but then also does flashbacks and also has these actors pretending to be these characters. And I, you know, like this really <laughs> disturbed Audrey where she was like, if you're going to like, why put this self-imposed like one week thing yes, on? It's, completely it's a lie. Here's, and then here's do a flashback and you have this all is, these things. Everyone knows Aaron Sorkin. This is famous in, our, in Hollywood. Everyone understands in Hollywood. Maybe you don't know it, Dan, because you live in, on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. That Aaron Sorkin is a huge Bare Naked Ladies fan. And he always <laughs> oh, listens to Bare Naked Ladies songs while he's writing. He's been sense, to goes yeah. to all their shows. So I think that's the influence there is the one yeah. week yeah. aspect. Yeah. If he had so, a million dollars, he'd make this movie. She even <laughs> she said that to Desi because he'd been out, you know, with his band. And she's like, it's been one week since you've looked at me because he hadn't even been there and he said look i'm the kind of guy that laughs at a funeral you know (laughs) and there's all this stuff about chinese chicken it really again Mm. it's it once you know it's there it really pops out at you (laughs) um so uh but they're saying this crazy week when walter winchell on his radio show said that lucille ball was a communist and a magazine said that desi her husband for anyone who's who's not familiar with with i love lucy who's listening to this i mean Kind of shame on you, but also clearly you didn't grow up watching Nick at Night like I did. But um, I Love Lucy was a big show, and it starred Lucille Ball and her real husband, Desi Arnaz, and they also produced the show. Anyway, uh, that's that's what you need to know, I guess. Um, we see that that uh, the news broke on the same day that Walter Winchell discovered Lucy had signed up as a communist once and that Desi Arnaz was having an affair. That was in a magazine. We then cut to Lucy and Desi arguing about 
the affair story, and then they start making up and having sex, and then they hear the Walter Winchell radio show say she's a communist. So it's like this movie is like it's like a five paragraph essay. We're going to tell you what we're going to tell you. Yeah. We're going to tell it to you. Then we're going to tell you what we told you over and over again. Well, and- we learned at the very beginning, courtesy of Linda Lavin, that as Madeline Pugh, that if they're not tearing each other's uh, heads off, they're tearing each other's clothes off. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, Relationship which goals, Which I believe right, is Dan? like an actual quote that somebody of them said about them that the, then the movie makes like thuddingly literal by having them have an argument and then have sex. <laughs> oh, I thought yeah. they tore their each other's heads off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, yeah. yeah, they, yeah they, they were the one of them in, was eaten like a, like a praying like mantis. mantis. Oh, yeah, they were the inspiration for Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Originally, yeah. in Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you could have them have sex with each other too. So uh, <laughs> they then we're at a table read for a new episode of uh, I Love Lucy. Uh, everyone's like, oh, we're talking about the Red Scare. It's the 50s, so this is all that we talk about is the mm-hmm. Red Scare. All we talk about is communism. And we see the tension between um, Vivian Vance, who plays Ethel, and uh, and William Frawley, who plays her husband Fred on the show. And we'll see. There's a played long, by there's J.K. A, Simmons. Yes, played by J.K. And, and, uh, and Nina Arianda, Tony Award winner, Nina Arianda plays uh, Vivian Vance. They were and good. This yeah. is a, and I thought they were both, they were both good. They're given, this is a, and this is what I'm going to say. This is the mission statement of this movie. It is a movie about the making of a sitcom that operates as a sitcom. There is an A story. Lucy and, Lucy and Desi are worried about losing their show. And there's a little side story on the A story about Lucy and Desi are worried about their marriage. There's a B story. Vivian Vance doesn't like that the show needs her to be frumpy. She's a human woman and she likes to seem attractive. And she doesn't like that the show is pushing her to be a frumpy housewife type. And then there, there is uh, the C story of there's a bad director on set and nobody likes him. And it's like, <laughs> and by the end of the movie, this will all have been wrapped up in one scene of conversation, which is like, this is a, it's basically we're watching a sitcom that has been extended out for over two hours and is not funny. But uh, they're all, t- <laughs> and we also get, we meet the, uh, we meet the executive producer, Jess Oppenheimer, played by Tony Hale. We meet the young Madeline, Plew, Madeline Pugh, played by Alia Shockwit. That's right. It's a Arrested Development reunion, mm-hmm. Arrested Development mini reunion. They have very few scenes together. And although I guess on Arrested Development, they didn't have that many scenes together either, maybe in Buster, mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. And everyone's like, uh, uh-oh, what are we going to do? Everyone's arguing. What if the show gets gets the plug pulls because Lucy's a communist now and everybody hates communists? Uh, and William Frawley doesn't like communists either, but he's kind of an old cantankerous drunk. This is J.K. Simmons doing one of those, uh, a what I would call a later stage Tom Hanks role, where it's just kind of like, <laughs> I'm charming. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna kind of float through this movie, being charming. You know. Yeah. I mean, he was in this first. Earned scene, him a nom. You know, you can't it argue did earn that. But but considering his previous os that he won was for such an intense role, maybe yeah. they're just looking at his range. I mean, he does have great range. You know. But I I remember like watching the first part where they're like you know fighting and fucking. I'm like, uh, I don't know about th- this movie whether I'm gonna find anything I like about it. And then when J.K. Simmons showed up, I'm like, oh, at least you know there's gonna be something because like he's on there just to be like cantankerous but also secretly likable. I'm like, well, that's that's gold for you, JK. Yeah, <laughs> like, and, he, and he has the genuinely funny lines in the movie. Like, he gets yeah. some real digs on... When, whenever the movie wants to be misogynist towards Vivian Vance, it has some real funny lines, almost as if Aaron Sorkin... I don't know. It comes more naturally to him to do those. <laughs> they, I don't know if that's true or not. But so uh, Lucy and Desi are meeting with the network executives. One of them is Clark Gregg. So it's like Shield is producing. Yeah. I love Lucy. And uh, he's got like he's got a little hairpiece. It's cute. Yeah, and he's she's meeting with her executives and sponsors. One of the sponsors is Philip Morris, and the movie 
sees nothing wrong with that, which I should, which feels like there's a kind of real old fashioned bent to this movie that's like, yeah, why wouldn't she be sponsored by a huge cigarette company that kills people? Who cares? No problem. <laughs> I mean, Yet I it's do the feel thing like that happened, <laughs> but I do feel like there's an aspect of it that is trying to look at it through a very modern lens with the, yes. you know, with some of the issues, like they, they take on race and they take on gender a little bit and things like that, which I feel like is unrealistic for how the show actually was. But with the, but Philip, Philip Morris, that gets a pass. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny that the, it's also, uh, if you were watching this movie, you would expect that I Love Lucy was like a, a, deeper show than it was or like a more I mean it was an important show in that it was a huge show but like the but it was important for I don't know I guess more for what was I, going on behind the scenes rather than the actual text of the show itself yeah, which is that's about the thing. A, about a, a goofy lady who is always ruining things for her husband and doesn't I, have a job and he won't let her have one I'm you know? gonna push back on this a, a little bit just because like uh so if if anyone's interested in the story of Lucy go and listen to instead of watching this uh, the Turner Classic Movies, um, uh, what is it? The Plot Thickens, their podcast, recently did a whole series on Lucille Ball. I'm sure because they knew this movie was going to come out and they would look <laughs> like roses compared to the movie. Uh, you know, a smart move on their part. But, like, it was important in the sense that it did it did do some of the things that you're saying. Like, uh, it revolutionized the way these shows were um uh, shot. Oh, yeah, I mean uh, all the behind the Lucy, scenes stuff. Yeah, yeah. Lucy being in, you know, such a creative force, you know, while being a woman, like the fact that it did show an inter interracial marriage. It wasn't the first one to have pregnancy on TV, but it was definitely the most important one. So it I got a question, that. guys. Do you think when, uh, when you know, like Lucy and Desi pushed their beds together and, or slept uh -huh. in the same bed, do you think? Uh, do you think all the sickos out there were like? Fuck yeah. yeah. Just started cranking it. Mm -hmm. Probably that. <laughs> yeah. That was porn for the time. I yeah. would imagine. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Uh, no, it is the behind the scenes. I'm not I'm not saying that, like I Love Lucy was like, you know, a, a silly show about a silly married couple, but yeah. Well, the and thing so is in in this, there's all this drama around um, is it believable that uh, Desi would walk in and put his hands around her eyes and say, guess who? And that she would, you know, guess all these names. And there's this like, but in the reality of the show, this is all uh, Lucille, the character of Lucille Ball saying like, but are we supposed to believe that he would actually think that she thinks Sam even having trouble she, articulating are we supposed it? To believe I was, that, are we supposed to believe that she's like, are we supposed to believe that I don't know what man is in my house and that he's supposed to believe that I don't know what, that I don't know who it is. And it's one of the things where it's like, well, the joke is clearly that she's teasing him and he gets yeah. frustrated being teased with, but, but yeah. she so doesn't much, seem to understand the joke. There's you know? so much drama around that. And it has that Sorkin-y like, aha, you know, he's found the weak underbelly of this, that everything's going to spin around. Um, and so after I watched this movie last night, I watched the episode that was like the main episode featured in the movie. Yeah. And within three seconds, you buy into the reality of I Love Lucy, of, that I, of I Love Lucy, that she's like sort of, you know, daffy and silly and would do this. And it all makes sense on the show. Yeah. yeah. I, it's it's a weird thing of like, um, it, it, well, that that feels like it's one of those times. Yeah. Exactly. Like you're saying like Aaron Sorkin is is poking holes in the show that the people who made the show would not poke holes in because they know they're making a silly show. Yeah. Like it's, but Aaron Sorkin doesn't quite get yeah. it. it. It's, it's not the best, yeah, uh, like politics. It, it feels like politics is a better place for him to have characters like 
poking holes in each other's arguments as opposed to like <laughs> what's yeah. a funny joke and what the logic of the joke is. You know, well, that's I mean, like, and look, I'm ta- I'm talking as a person who I don't like a joke that where that that exists on faulty logic. Like I. I but you love frustrate. faulty towers, hypocrite. No, but I mean, like, I there were times when, like, I was writing just scripts with other Cleese's people politics. at <laughs> at the Daily Show, and like, I'd feel like, ah, is that a false premise? And I like, it would be a small thing, but I would like push back against it. So I I certainly understand like objecting to a small issue, but as you say, this is clearly a tease. Like, it doesn't make any sense as anything else. So to show her integrity. By like her getting hung up on this just makes the character look dumb in the movie in yes, a weird and way. Especially because the the episode they're doing is about like Fred and Ethel have had a fight and Lucy is gonna invite both of them to dinner without telling <laughs> each of them so that they I guess fall back in love at dinner. It's like that is a faultier premise than that she was teasing her yeah. husband and he got mad. Like it's <laughs> like it's it's a it's a ridiculous plot. But uh Yeah, I mean don't... in the in the movie it comes off as her hyperfixating on something that doesn't like doesn't matter and she seems like she's out of step with the rest of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, but I think that's also supposed to be that it's she is the one she's the one right genius there and everyone else won't listen to. It's like I'm not sure if the movie is but it doesn't it, come off as being a writing genius. It comes off as somebody who doesn't know what's going on. No, that's true too. Um I guess it depends on whether whose side you're taking. But anyway, <laughs> sure. the, Lucy is worried. Are they going to take away her show because she's a communist? Meanwhile, she's still worried that uh, Desi was unfaithful to her possibly. Uh, and she explains she only signed up to be a communist uh, in the 30s to please her uncle who raised her or her grandfather. I forget her which. Grandfather. Her grandfather who was, himself was a communist. And uh, and Desi wants – we'll find out later. Desi wants to have her played off like a mistake. Like she's as daffy in real life as she is on TV and she doesn't want to admit that. She doesn't want to admit she made a mistake because she didn't. Um, we see a lot of flashbacks of how Lucy and Desi met when she was under contract at RKO, and uh, the and Desi is singing a song about. For there's a number of times when Javier Bardem sings songs in this movie, and I thought he did a really good job yeah. of selling those songs. Um, but there are so many like we don't have time to go to all the inaccuracies and anachronisms in the movie. But like there were so many times during the discussion of her film career when it, I was like. She's waiting in this waiting room in the 40s. There's a movie poster on the wall from a movie from the 50s. Like, this is bothering me. Like, now she has a smartphone in her hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she's, sweet. she's watching TikTok while she's on set. Like, this is, but uh, there's, we see basically how uh, she fixated, she set her sights on Desi and, and chased after him and really seduced him through a combination of brassy rudeness and brassy taking off her clothes in front of him. <laughs> and, and, it's a one-two punch. And another thing that keeps coming up is the idea that Desi was driven from Cuba because he was born in Cuba. His family was a prominent Cuban family. That he was driven from Cuba by the communist revolution, and that's why he has this deep, deeper thing about communists. And that's the thing anachronistically that really got to me because he left he left commun- he left Cuba in the 30s when the government was overthrown by Batista, who the communists would later overthrow 20 years later. So that was what made me matter. Was I was like. I can buy – there's a movie poster in the background that's from the wrong year, like whatever. Uh, the same way that – it didn't make me as mad as in Mank when they were like, ugh, we don't make The Wolfman. And I'm like, that movie didn't come out for 12 years until after this conversation. <laughs> They're like, we don't make horror movies like Frankenstein. It's like Frankenstein wasn't out yet. This scene takes place in 1930. But uh, the <laughs> but the idea that this is an alternate universe where the communists took over Cuba like 20 years earlier is such a big change for his backstory that it really – it really bothered me more than anything else. I, you, know? When, you know, when you're saying that about Mank, I was enjoying watching Allison's face where she sort of just like clocked 
who you were as a person more fully maybe than <laughs> that I'm still than, that really yeah. bothered me and Mank. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's another one where it did. It, 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 I mean, that's also like a film per- history period that like I particularly am interested <laughs> yeah. in. But it bothered me that they, really? I mean, aside from the fact that Gary Oldman was playing a man thirty years younger than him in many <laughs> scenes, but uh, the that movie is that anytime you do a movie that's like about behind the scenes in the entertainment business and there can't be bothered to get basic facts right just to create that illusion it's it just bugs me you know uh, Allison, i want to i want to fill you in though this is part of uh, a long running segment on the show yanking the mank crank which yeah, is yanking uh, the mank crank, where we talk about mank mank. and my problems with it yeah. <laughs> oh I've never I, seen Mank. Should I? Should I do it? No, Me neither. it's not nah. very good. It's more fun to not see it. I think. Okay. Yeah. I, Amanda Seyfried's pretty good. <laughs> I didn't really like the movie that much. She's fine in it. Yeah. The the uh, it's uh, I'm 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 segueing eventually into a into a segment called Manks for the Memories, which is long <laughs> after everyone else has forgotten about Mank. <laughs> I'm just like reminding people about it. Um, so anyway, they uh, now they're in the in the past. They're a thing. She dumps her fiance over the phone and uh, and sticks with Desi. Um, but even the- that scene was so. And I'm sorry to keep using this very uh, very uh, technical term. So Sorkiny. It was just <laughs> so sassy and clever the way she called him up and yeah. dumped him, and just like no one is allowed to say a line that isn't like zing. Yeah, everything is so zingy that it's yeah. it strains credulity. Well, and I think that if the movie was more, it's directed in a very straightforward, I would almost say boring manner. And if it was more stylized, I would say like, yeah, that works for me. But right. the idea that like this movie is supposed to be a histor- semi historically accurate to the point that we're pretending we have talking heads, people explaining yeah. it. for it to be that zingy is yeah, it, is annoying. It both looks and plays like it it would be better suited to being a mini series on TV, I think. Yeah. I mean, it feels like an HBO made for TV movie from about 30 years ago. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, this is a prestige TV movie. Like they've got big stars and HBO put money into it, but like we're only going to hold it to TV movie standards. Like we're not going to hold this to like movie movie standards. Yeah, know? I could see it being a mini series because the pacing I thought was pretty weird. So if it were divided into little chunks, then it wouldn't have been so noticeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I how think I that watched would it. Fix the <laughs> flashback <laughs> issue. Like the mo- the more I think about it, the more I think none of the flashbacks were necessary for the story they wanted to tell. They could not have just at all. Yeah, cut no. all of them. <laughs> and I mean, they the thing all is- caught me by surprise. It took me a little while to be like, oh, this is some time ago. And, and also it yeah. got to the point where later on there's a scene that is not a flashback that I thought was a flashback <laughs> for a while. <laughs> where I was like, oh, but if she knew this a long time ago, oh wait, that was not a flashback? That was supposed to be in, in real time? Like the, it, there's nothing in the flashbacks that hasn't already been told to us in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Basically, and it's like, do the flashbacks or do the talking heads? Don't do both. I mean, Dan was like, I love the talking heads. Yeah, put them all over the soundtrack. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is the place. You know, this they, they are burning be, down the house. I mean, you wanted more of a style choice for the movie. That would be a very bold choice to just do talking head songs for the mm-hmm. whole soundtrack of this. That's true, um, but it's you don't need. So it's it feels like padding at a certain point. It feels like the movie. Mm-hmm had only a little bit of story and they're just like, feel, they're like, yeah, let's have, tell the audience three times that uh, their jobs took them away from each other for a while. <laughs> so, you know, we don't, we, we don't need to see, I mean, it's, I guess that is the plot of La La Land. So you can fill a movie with that. But um, anyway, uh, they're, they're mad at each other as, as tension continues. Uh, Vivian Vance, she doesn't like that. Nobody thinks she's sexy and she doesn't like that. People think that she's 
the right age to be married to William Frawley, who is much older than her, much like everyone in the movie pretty much is older than the people that they're playing, um, except for J.K. Simmons. Uh, and they – there's a lot of scenes of just people in rooms talking about – Oh, did you see this story in the magazine? Oh, did you hear about Walter Winchell on the radio? Um, and that's when Lucy and Desi walk into the writer's room, which, this being the movie, the show has two writers, which might have been the case. Back yeah, then, back shows then. didn't have a lot of writers. They, it's just the executive producer and two writers sitting in a room together. Uh, they really want to send Lucy to Italy so she can stomp on some grapes, which Lucy <laughs> loves the idea of. Uh, and she goes, <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, no, I was just thinking, like, you know, it was one of these scenes that I'm talking about where she stares intently off into space, <laughs> and you know, you know, Zeus comes down from Mount Olympus to give her uh, the the greatest joke in history, which is in this case to lose her earrings in the grapes that they're stomping, and uh, and she has to you know swim around looking for it. Uh -huh, and we get to see a flash forward of her fantasy of this happening, and mm -hmm. the audience losing their fucking minds. And she dreams in black and white, much like. Androids dream of electric sheep. So every time she imagines <laughs> yeah. things, it's in black and white. Yeah. And the audience, and here, and wait, here's Stuart saying the audience is losing their minds. I mean, it is a very funny scene. Like, yeah, that yeah, is the yeah. kind not, of set piece. Not as, at the end by, of Mouth of Madness. not as played by Nicole Kidman, exactly. but as yeah. played by Lucille Ball. And, and there's a, the, the same way that I, I almost wish they had done like the chocolate conveyor belt or stuff like that, mm -hmm. like more classic Lucy scenes so we could see audiences going nuts. But every joke that anyone says in front of an audience in this, the audience explodes. Like, I hope they had doctors on the set of I Love Lucy to yeah. help these people whose sides were literally splitting open well, and their guts funny falling bones are out. shattered. Yeah. Ugh, I've been slapping my knee so hard that my knee is powder now. <laughs> like they, they, I think movies about comedy, they so rarely realize that like not every joke is a is a super gut buster, you know? Yeah. So but well, Dan, and also that like people aren't just like silent until they they like suddenly come out with the brilliant joke. Like that's I wanted to talk a little bit about the way this is presenting comedy writing because, you know, like as we've mentioned before in the show, uh You're a comedy writer. There yeah. was a lot of well yeah, we get it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> No, like show us at, your awards. Show us your NAACP image award. The Dan. Daily Show, when especially when Elliot and I were there at the same time, there was a lot of obsession with Studio Sixty and Hallie, right? The other favorite. There was a lot of obsession <laughs> with and, Hallie. And Allison's nemesis, the... Hallie, my my office mate, now my neighbor. Yeah. Uh, but like Sorkin is so serious about the way he thinks comedy is done, and on this show, like uh, I will say, he gets two things right. The comedy writers are really mean to each other, and they secretly think that they're better writers than the other one. And, and uh, but in real life, my experience is there's also a lot more esprit de corps and a lot more just like tossing out jokes. Like a comedy room is sounds you know more like an episode of the Flophouse or something where everyone's just saying nonsense to well, try and, and shouting over each other as opposed <laughs> yeah. to looking at each other silently and then occasionally it's like it, he thinks the comedy writer's room is like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf where it's just kind mm -hmm. of like bitter zings uh, and otherwise deep silence when usually it's a lot of people yelling <laughs> yelling at each other <laughs> now is a real comedy room extremely dimly lit because if so they nailed that Aaron Sorkin yeah. really thinks comedies comedians work in darkness which is strange because you have to see what you're reading you have to write things down on pads and stuff like that but yeah it's it's all it's the one room like in Studio 60 they worked in a room with I think one light it looked like a Nazi <laughs> interrogation room yes, yeah. where, they, where they're arrayed around a table and most of them are in <laughs> darkness like some kind of like Brecht or 
or, or a Kafka type room. And in this one, it's uh, yeah, it's just like the one room in the building with no lights, no overhead lights. It's just lit by whatever whatever stray shafts might make it through the <laughs> Venetian blinds yeah. to hit the table. <laughs> They're writing from the room that uh, in Network where Ned Beatty makes his big speech. <laughs> yeah, it's lit by one tiny lamp on a table. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, for someone who is also like, he's a writer. Like Aaron Sorkin is at heart a writer. He's not, he directs things, but he's not like a great director. Um, he's, it seems what comes naturally to him is words. And yet he doesn't, he doesn't like seem to know how writing works. I don't know. Maybe that's how it works for him. Maybe he, st- he sits in a dark room and stares into space I mean, and, maybe like, and a scene comes to him. I don't know. Maybe he's not used to working with other people on projects. Maybe he like, I mean, that seems very likely based on what I've heard of his <laughs> yeah. shows. I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, so this, with the movie, these kinds of, oh, so Lucy and Desi announced the writers in this dimly, in this depressingly <laughs> dimly lit room, um, that, that Lucy is pregnant and they want to write the pregnancy into the show. And, uh, and the, the executive producer was like, no, we're going to have her go to Italy and stomp on grapes instead. And it's like, you guys are doing 37 shows a season. You got room. Do both episodes. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he says, they'll never let us discuss pregnancy on the show. And, uh, later on when they're talking to the studio, the network execs and the sponsors are like, you can't ever be pregnant on the show. People will wonder how the baby got in there. And Sickos, I think yeah. probably they, I, <laughs> I was, I, I was just yanking it to that too. <laughs> 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 like just, just, the, just the, the thought of it, just the barest hint of it. And, <laughs> and I, I, and I think there's probably there was a the most erotic that, thing about sex is that a baby is the result. Baby <laughs> could be the result. If you're Saint, if you're Saint Augustine, that's that's why you're supposed to do it. Yeah. I mean, there and also I'm there are people with pregnancy fetishes, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. Don't don't shame them, Dan. There are people who like that. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's come on. they don't they like. I think it's more that they like the shape of the woman's body during pregnancy than the that's idea not, that there's I mean, you're not to read into, into it. that there's a tenant in yeah that, i'm sure you there's know? plenty of yeah. i mean there's you're other reasons it. i'm Just sure like man. a fantasy of virility but let's not we don't mm, need to I could see that i could see that yeah i mean you know that i mean it's if they're if it's a fantasy of virility if they're with a pregnant woman i want i, I, mean, I think they don't understand how it works it's not like it's not like they it's not like they built an annex so that they could then fill in new tenants i don't know but anyway the uh, we could cut all that it doesn't matter anyway so and i and i and i believe there was controversy they didn't let them say the word pregnant as is pointed out smugly at the right, end of they had the to say movie expecting i guess but it is one of those things where it's like the people do people like people do have some idea, even in the fifties of how yeah. babies are born. It's the same way that like, um, there are all these, you know, when the people watch movies from the thirties and forties and they'll see stuff that seems like unintentional dirty jokes. And they'll be like, can you believe they didn't realize that was in there? And it's like, I hate to break it to you. They knew it was in there. They did it on purpose. Like they had sex back then too. Like it, was, <laughs> they, it wasn't invented in 1967, but, uh, yeah, it's about- true that, Oh. oh no! I was just gonna, before I was just gonna say they they shouldn't have played these executives yeah as if they were like shrinking violets like they should have been like oh we're gonna get complaints from this group and this group and this group yes. which I'm sure yes. is what the actual thing was. What were yeah. you gonna say, Allison? When she announces <clears throat> she's pregnant, it's like a running joke that no one ever says congratulations to her because when she announces that she's pregnant, the people in the room are so uncomfortable that that one executive was like, "How gulp." Much pregnant are you? <laughs> he didn't even. He couldn't even. He couldn't even use the uh, the right language. He was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. 
we're just so ignorant. Men back then, they didn't right. even know. They were only know. interested in women uh, as Luckily it's all fixed. As cooks, <laughs> and that's it. And they didn't know how uh-huh. anything else happened, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah, and luckily it's we don't fine to, now, though. Yeah, luckily we live in a, in a, in a gender utopia now. So uh, uh-huh. they— <laughs> It's like when I was watching 9 to 5 the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all better now. <laughs> it's equal. You just brought that because you want to talk about nine to five. I love nine to five. So sue me, Dan. Not literally, because I don't have that much money. <laughs> I don't know. I would have what, standing. I think. The, yeah. What grounds have... would Dan be suing you on? What, what, what damages would there be I'm for not you a liking nine to five? Lawyer, dude, I sell drinks to people. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that's kind of what a lawyer does, except for the drinks, is you listen to people's yeah. problems and you tell them what yeah. to do. Although what you always tell them what to do is have another drink, which I think is, you know, a little self-interested. <laughs> So, okay, they block the table read. Lucy keeps adding gags, which nobody is happy about, which doesn't make any sense. And it, this is this is when, the, as I was saying earlier, uh, the director, who's very bad and nobody likes him, and he's a fictional character. He's not, he's not a real person. Uh, he's doing a bad job, and he's like, mm, let's shoot this scene so that the pe- people's backs are to the camera. <laughs> and Lucy is like, I don't think this is a good way to shoot this scene. And he's like, uh, uh, Lucy, I'm the director. And it, they, that those, I'm, and I wonder how real those dynamics were. Maybe because she was a woman, people didn't listen, listen to her, but she was the boss. Like, again, her company was producing this show. It was a Desi Lou production. So yeah. it's, this is a th- I, it, it just yeah. feels like the dynamics are a little, uh, fakey, a little forced. I know that, yeah, this was a problem that I had trying to uh, assess the movie because I know that it must have been terribly difficult for her, even as a powerful woman in Hollywood, to, like, have her voice heard. But at the same time, like, you know, any show is is desperate to keep the star happy. So I don't yes. I don't know. I mean, and as you say, she was the producer as well. well so it's also, it seems it's very wondrous- confusing to me. And especially because later there's a whole – so we, we, in our flashbacks, we eventually get to the point where she is pitching the show to CBS. And they and they don't want Desi to play her husband because it would be an interracial relationship. And she says, well, then we're not doing the show. And we know how that turned out because Desi is the husband yeah. on the show. And it seems so weird that every other step of the way, we see Lucille Ball as an unstoppable juggernaut who just batters her way through obstructions and gets her way. But this one director will not listen to her ideas <laughs> when they're blocking a totally unnecessary scene. And there's a part where they call, they they break for lunch and Lucy's like, no, no, I want to talk to you about this. And the crew is standing around and he's like, we're getting into, we're getting into a lunch penalty. And it's, it was like, well, why don't you just send the crew to lunch and then talk to Lucy about it for like two <laughs> minutes? I don't understand. There's no, it's like the fakest tension, you know, the yeah. fakest suspense in that. But why this, at a certain point, this director who becomes the hero of the movie because he's the only one willing to stand up to Lucille Ball, even though it's for a dumb reason. I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, they all, they, uh, Vivian Vance is a, gets insulted because uh, Lucy sends uh, sends Madeline Pugh to her room with some food for her to eat because she skipped breakfast because she's trying to lose weight. Uh, Desi tells the network executives, and as Allison said, they're like, "How how much pregnant is she?" Which is kind of a funny line, but it's a funny line like if a robot or an alien <laughs> says it, you know. Um, and, and and Javier Bardem plays this scene pretty well. He's pretty fun. He's charming. Yada yada yada. Oh yeah. It's, and I think the and it's just like tension is building. Desi's trying to keep things together. Lucy's trying to make things the way she wants them to be. Uh, everyone's complaining to each other. Um, they're all mad at each other. Um, uh, J.K. Simmons takes Lucy for a drink and says, "You got to let Desi be the boss in public because you're pushing him away. You're you're making it so he doesn't feel like a man." Uh, and we flash back to. You know, just Lucy's career in movies ending and uh, her 
being mad because they don't. She did such a good job in one movie that they don't have any more roles for her. She's too good an actress. They they don't have the right <laughs> roles for her anymore, which is not true. Not how it's like not how things turned out. Um, and she's and, claiming to be thirty five, but she's actually thirty nine. Mm-hmm. Which it, which the movie presents as if it is a real sin. Like that's he's he's uh, the studio executive says that to her, and she and it's it was like case closed. Sorry, you're out of the business <laughs> now. Now, the scene with J.K. Simmons where he's trying to explain to her the problem with her marriage, that's not the only scene like that. But nothing in Javier Bardem's performance or the script at this point has indicated that he is particularly unsatisfied with the dynamics on the show. No, that's true. That, he, that, if, that is true. Which is weird to me. He's presented very much as a very supportive guy who is trying to keep things going and at least outwardly does not have any feeling does not seem to have tension about his career basically now being second fiddle to his wife after he was a you know successful touring band leader and stuff like that you know that doesn't seem to be coming through in his performance even though people are telling lucy that um but lucy is like okay i gotta make him feel like he's the boss and she goes to the executive producer and says hey why don't we give desi an executive producer credit and this is a strange scene because one it is genuinely insulting to the executive producer to be like, hey, can you help me make my husband happy by doing this? But two, Desi is essentially the executive producer on the show. <laughs> like he's still like he's 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 not a, he's makes a lot of decisions. He runs the runs the business. Like he's he's the guy she's like, he designs the camera system that we use, he set up uh the company, he he does all these problems. She makes a really good argument for why he should be an executive producer. So at that point I was like, why is he not? Like, why doesn't he already have that title? It's an, it feels like a like another weirdly well, forced conflict i mean particularly because like i mean again i don't know whether this is like this was different in old hollywood but like producer credits are given out like candy like and even executive (laughs) producer credits like you can have multiple executive producers on a television show most do so it's very strange to me that they are just also giving him a credit (laughs) I, i wonder yeah i wonder if it was different then because not like literally a credit bump is written into your contract when you sign on to a show where it's like, and on this season, I'll get bumped up to this title. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing, uh, that it becomes conflict for a moment and then doesn't really, it's just part of this churning stew of conflict and tension over at the Lucy show. Are they ever going to get this episode shot? What if they don't (laughs) even have a show because of the communist thing, which is kind of dropped out. Nobody's really, for most of the movie, the communist thing is totally forgotten. And people that are like, yeah, nobody's talking the about the main communist thing. concern of that week <laughs> yes. yeah. is that well, the show like, might be canceled because of this communist bombshell. If you're making a movie about – there's a week when we thought the show might get canceled. Make it about the communist thing. If you're making a movie about it's hard for two people to be in a, create, a marriage who are both creative people and, and are as driven to be together as they are ambi- by ambition driven to be apart, make the movie about that. If the movie is about we want to present pregnancy for the first time in television and the studio and the network is up against us on it, make it about that. But there's like so much stuff going on that none of it really gets much attention. And you and, and right. I wonder if the feeling he's going for is like, that's another week at the Lucy show. You know, oh, it's always crazy. Now we got to do it all over again next week. But it's it feels like none of them are that important because there's so much there's so much fires to put out. You know, she's yeah. so much pregnant all the time. How much pregnant? So much pregnant with problems. Yeah, it's weird. You're right. Like none of the storylines really I didn't I I I found myself not invested in any of them. Yeah. None of the stakes for they they didn't create stakes that could like create a scaffolding to make a movie that you'd care about. I said that like a robot. Um they did not <laughs> <laughs> 
how much stakes yeah. were there. <laughs> <laughs> and so no stakes when, enough. And then by the end of the movie, when they wrap them all up, it feels dissatisfying. And the ones yes. that they put the most emphasis on, you're like, oh, that matters. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also some of the stakes are to some degree like false. I mean, like, again, just bringing in stuff from the more in-depth show about Lucy that I listened to. Like, it was it was not like Lucy didn't know that Desi was a, a philanderer. Like, this was a huge part of their relationship, but the movie kind of makes it out to be like, oh, this one time he was in the tabloids mm-hmm. and she was worried about mm-hmm. this one thing that he convinced her was not true. Whereas in reality, he was, you know, they were mostly prostitutes. He would go out and he would sleep with a bunch of prostitutes and Lucy kind of knew, but she loved him so much anyway. And he was supportive uh, uh, career-wise, you know, and they loved each other. Like it was a mm-hmm. complex relationship, but it's all boiled down to this one time that she thinks he's sleeping around and it's yeah. so fake. <laughs> and but I, now I'm, I've never hired a prostitute. Do you hire them by the bunch? Is that how it works? <laughs> Sometimes, because <laughs> I, I always thought it was like a pack of prostitutes. Is it a bunch? I don't. I don't know the terminology. I don't know how you. I don't know how you order them. Uh, yeah, it's a wait, well. One's uh, just a prostitute. Two is a is a pair of prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Three. Yep. Let's yeah. Let's a, make some jokes about sex work. Guys. I don't. That's I'm cool. not making a joke <laughs> about Stuart, sex it's a joke work. about it's a, dr- it's a, a joke. It's about, a joke about plurals. <laughs> it's a joke about, about plurals. plurals. It's a okay. plural yeah. joke. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a good one. You can certainly take me down for that. Yeah, yeah Stuart, you can sue him for that. I mean, you have damages. You don't need to claim that I'm trying to put anyone down, though. Sometimes you could get a BOGO Pro, which is a buy one, uh, get one prostitute. Oh, so. yeah. See, yeah. that's good. That's good stuff. Um, uh, so, so, yeah. So, what? Uh, yeah, so they're, anyway, uh, they're all arguing. Um, everybody's arguing. And uh, the... They're waiting to find out if uh, if the big sponsors in the East, if the big executives are going to support their pregnancy storyline. And uh, Lucy is like – gets into a, a – not an argument but a tense conversation with Madeline Pugh because she wants the Lucy character to be smarter than she is. Um, and there's a generation gap between them you know, uh, of women who want to be smart – want to be seen as smart and women who just want to work and be the bosses behind the scenes. And if that means looking daffy in, in public, that's what they'll do. Uh, a telegram arrives supporting Desi in the pregnancy battle. So that's kind of over by two-thirds yeah. of the way through the movie. Yeah. Um, that night, and this is the scene where I thought it was a flashback, but it was actually a regular back. Just It was a forward. It was a regular time forward because it was just the next scene. Um, Lucy is... <laughs> Consecutive. She's, she's doing the laundry and practicing her lines, and they have a baby daughter who is not sleeping well and and just showed up for the first time like this is the yes, first time I became aware there's a baby <laughs> I think they mentioned her like briefly in passing once but up to this point and so my wife was like oh so now it's the future and they had the baby I'm like no no no, no. this is their first child <laughs> like the, this, the <laughs> first child that never got mentioned or barely uh, and she finds something in the laundry that's not super clear at first but we know that it has unnerved her somewhat so much so that she walks out into the rain in her pajamas just dazed like a zombie what does this mean okay it's 2 a.m she calls vivian and 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 frawley over to the studio to restage the dinner scene and again she's like hey let's have you facing the camera so we can see what you're doing and they're like you're a genius uh this is better and uh, she says oh i did this show to be close to Desi, so we'd be working in the same place together, but outside of work, it's like he ignores me and he doesn't pay attention to me, and she feels bad about it. Um, Then we get some more flashbacks about her radio career, and this is when 
if the movie is trying to present Lucille Ball as a smart person, this is a scene that really bothered me where she does her radio show. She's in her dressing room and the EP of the radio show who would go on to be the EP of the TV show, Tony Hale, he's, he goes, Hey, some people from CBS want to talk to you. And they're like, and she's like, yeah, yeah. Radio, CBS radio, blah, blah. And they go, well, actually we're from CBS television. And she's like, CBS does television. What you want to sell me one? And it's like, no, we want you to, we want to do a TV show with you. And she's like, oh? she keeps running fucking bits. <laughs> she runs so many zingers at them. And it's like the mint, I'm, I'm look, the minute someone walks in and says, no, we're for, to, to you backstage and says, we're from television, you know they're there to offer you a television show. Like, it's, it takes so long for that to, she's got yes. so, such a wall of zingers around her. It <laughs> takes so long for that news to breach her skull. It's just like, come on, Lucy, you <laughs> know this. We've noticed when you do your radio show, you do a lot of gesturing. It's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like, every bit she does, their reaction is either conf complete confusion or they just say, that's funny. And you would think that that complete lack of response would make you not want to keep doing bits. Now, <laughs> well, it, that's the thing, it, Stuart. There's, for, for a true comedian, there's a certain point where what you want yeah. is the bad reaction. You're doing yeah, bits so that they you're fail. Right. Yeah. You're right. It is true that, like, she, like, really started playing up her facial expressions in radio because she knows she got a good reaction from the crowd. And that was kind of what brought her into to comedy as, uh, you know, on, on TV. But the way it's presented in the movie really makes it seem like the CBS execs are like, wow, like we, we didn't realize you had a face. Uh, like, like, <laughs> like you can be on television. It's like, she's been when, in movies. Like they know what she looks like. She knows she can we, like express things. When we listen to you, it was like, we thought you were just a voice, a disembodied voice. <laughs> yeah. But now we realize there's a face and a body attached to it, and we assume a person, a soul <laughs> inhabiting that body. And television needs Not souls. Not if played That's what by Nicole learned. Kidman, but... <laughs> oh, wow. Ouch. I'm Zing. sorry. I really... I, I get that she's being commended for this performance, but I... Did not. I mean, maybe, I guess it's the material. It, it depends, like, what the direction was. But I just would have, there's a million other actors I would have rather seen as Lucille Ball. Okay, well, I, list one of them. <laughs> Emma Stone. Uh, Kate okay. Winslet. There's two. Uh -huh. I mean, so actually, Kate yeah. Blanchett was a, initially cast. She was initially attached. Oh. I think she yeah. would have been more interesting in a lot of ways. But yeah. I just uh, find my, Nicole my wife Kidman suggested Annalie Ashford of, oh, yeah. uh, you know, stage yeah. fame. She would have been good. I think she's good when she's doing the dramatic parts. I don't think you ever get a sense from her that she's a, a comedian, which is weird because I do think Nicole Kidman can be funny in other movies. Like, I thought she was really funny in Moulin Rouge and, like, she's doing a comic performance in To Die For. But here, like, I, you don't get the sense that she's got the whatever Lucy had is. I'm going to blame yeah. the director. No, that's that. fair. That's where I'm, I'm going to yeah. put the, I'm going to put the blame on that. That there's a, the same way that um when, uh when I was, watching the pre the Star Wars prequels with my older son and my wife walked in the room. She was like, Natalie Portman's really bad in this. And I was like, oh, they're all bad in it. You got to play the directing. <laughs> like, like these are all actors who are good actors and they're very bad in this movie. But you just, like Samuel L. Jackson is bad in this movie. Like that's how bad the directing is. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame Sorkin on that one. Uh, but I, I do agree with you that like, Nicole, a lot of the reviews I've seen, they're like, Nicole Kidman plays Lucille Ball as a real person. And I don't mm -hmm. really get that from her. I get a character no. from her, but I, I don't get a full like living, breathing, I, if anything. And the weird thing was that I had heard stuff about Javier Bardem being miscast. And I actually found him to be more I thought he was great. of a person than Nicole Kidman was, you know. I just yeah. found the portrayal to be so uncharismatic and unlikable, which if you're going to spend two hours and however many minutes like with someone 
they should be a little more likable. Even if she really was that tough in real life. Or at least have the, like someone could be unlikable but still have the charisma where you're Mm -hmm. like, I get it. I see why this person is the center of this whole thing and I want to see them succeed. And, but it's, there's a, yeah, I don't know. Some of it is that Aaron Sorkin thing where kind of like the ending is never in doubt. Like you kind of always know what's going to happen and there's no, there's no stakes and that makes it harder for the character to be sympathetic when they are like kind of spinning like a top, you know? I mean, uh, I wonder like if- Nicole Kidman, I mean, it is a weird choice that in the scenes where she's particularly flustered, Nicole Kidman begins to spin like a top with her arms <laughs> out, yep. you know? Like a Mega Man villain. I- <laughs> you got to use that bowl, that bubble on them. Yeah, you got to use bubble. <laughs> yeah. Get a uh, bubble. Well, that's why you, it's because it, Mega Man is all about the order of the levels. We all know that. That's the secret. No, like, you got to know what order to do them in. Yeah. I'm going to change from saying she was unlikable, even though I find I found her to be unlikable too. It, she wasn't compelling. The character yeah. wasn't compelling enough to yeah, want to spend that. that much time. I do wonder if that's like in part. At the the problem is that they are making her up to look so much like Lucy and, and so much emphasis is going on imitation that I think that that mutes people's charisma sometimes when there's too much of that going on, like mm-hmm. the surface stuff. I don't yeah, know. I, would, I would always rather watch a movie where someone is playing the character in the movie and not worrying that much about seeming like the real person yeah. than yeah. one where they mm-hmm. go all out yeah. to seem like the real person. If they can do both, that's amazing. But, it, I, but it's better to see this like – you could cast someone who doesn't look like. I mean, cast Tiffany Haddish as as Lucille Ball, and then don't worry about the way she looks, and <laughs> just like great. let her be the character, and it would be, be great, great, you know. So the, the the but the idea that like um you got to get the voice exactly right, you got to get the look as yeah, close like as the you Wizard can. Magazine fucking casting shit where people <laughs> yes. were like, well, Deborah Messing did that one photo shoot and she looked like Lucy. Why didn't they get her to do it? <laughs> There's obviously only one person who can play Wolverine, Glenn Danzig, a man who yeah. is not an actor. <laughs> uh, we, so anyway, she's a sitcom star now. Uh, cut to the cut to now. And uh, the Lucy, she surprises the executive producer by admitting that he was right. It was insulting to him for her to just kind of say, hey, can I give your credit to my husband in order to save our marriage? And he's like, I don't think you've ever said that before, that you're right. She's like, I don't think I've ever said it out loud. And they're interrupted zing. by the, Yeah, zing. <laughs> <laughs> they're interrupted by the news. I'm very humble in my head. Uh, they're, they're interrupted by the news that um, the executives are meeting with Desi, which is the kind of thing you would do if he was the executive producer of the show. Uh, the <laughs> newspapers have picked up the Lucy is a communist story. Uh-oh. And Desi Arnaz has a plan. He's going to tell the audience that Lucy checks the wrong box on the what party do I belong to card. And she's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want – I didn't check the wrong box. I'm not going to do that. And he's like, you did check the wrong box because I was kicked out of my country by them. And it's like, well, you weren't in real life. Like, again, it's not – that's not true. Uh, <laughs> so, like the uh, – you might as well go ahead and make him a Holocaust survivor at that point if you're going to, if you're gonna like, fudge it that sure. much. But um, – or make it so that his ki- his family was killed in the Stalinist purges or whatever. Really make it <laughs> When the Decepticons attacked Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when the bugs attacked Puerto Rico and, they, <laughs> and, and destroyed San Juan. Wait, that's – you're not from Puerto Rico and that's from Starship Troopers. Like, is that <laughs> – yeah, is yeah. that where you're from now? Bolsheviks um, ran me out during the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> so confused, I have to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, so no one would make up a lie that obvious, so it must be true. <laughs> uh, and uh, Lucy and Vivian kind of make up a little bit over the fact that they're both worried about life, I guess. And uh, Madeline Pugh comes over to Lucy and is like, you're my hero, Lucy. There's a lot of unearned, that, like, that uh, shit sucked. That uh, scene Mending sucks. bridges, yeah. And uh, William Farley comes out. And this was something I actually liked. He goes, you know, 
a man doesn't like being called old. And it was the first time throughout the movie where I'm like, oh yeah, his feelings probably are hurt when Vivian Vance is constantly like, he's too old to be my husband. I'm not old enough to play his his wife. You know, the um, it was a, it was funny to me where I was like, I kind of bought into like, well, who cares about men's feelings until that moment? And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Men have feelings too. I should know that. I have feelings. <laughs> like I should feel for William Frawley a little bit. Okay, men's rights. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, file this episode under men's rights, I guess. And that men have the best feelings. That's all I'm saying is that men have the best feelings. Um, and they're all nervous about losing the show, even though that's a problem that just popped up like a couple minutes ago and they had forgotten about until then. Um, Desi goes out and he goes to warm up the audience, which he usually did. And he goes, look, I'm going to tell you the story about how – this is the story that's out there that Lucy is a communist. Well, guess what? I've got a phone call that I think is going to help out. And he puts the phone up to the to the microphone and he goes, is there – you can tell me. Is there any – does the FBI have any reason to believe Lucille Ball is a communist? And the phone call is like, no, uh, we don't. In a, in a very cheery voice. Yeah, no, we don't at all. And uh-huh. uh, and and with the FBI investigating her for communism, nope, we're not going to do that. And can you tell us your name? And he goes, J. Edgar Hoover. And the audience <laughs> loses their shit. Lose their They're mind. Like, well, yeah. if J. Edgar Hoover has Crazy. cleared her, she must be an all-American woman. And it's like the – I saw someone – before uh, – this was spoiled for me because I saw someone mention on Twitter like that the idea that – J. Edgar Hoover is the hero of the movie, a genuinely bad man <laughs> yeah, who did yeah. terrible things. Yeah, I was like, like, I was like, were the directorial notes okay? You're only going to be a voice, but you need to convey that you're a huge piece of shit. Now, <laughs> El- Elliot, but you're, but you're also you're a by all by against all account. Now, everyone in this movie is going to go way overboard and trying to impersonate their people. But we want instead of J. Edgar Hoover, the the very very mean man who is never happy. We want you to be kind of J. Edgar Hoover as kind of a Santa Claus type, you know. <laughs> Although. Uh, <laughs> I was confirming what I already knew to be true, but I just looked it up uh, that this phone call never happened. No. Uh, and apparently he he was a no, fan Jared of Hoover the was show. Too, he was too he busy wrote, spying on civil rights activists. He didn't have yeah, time to he, call he, into I Love Lucy. No, you know? he, but he, he did write a fan letter. So apparently he did love Lucy like everyone else did. But, <laughs> oh, he did. but I wanted also, to ask Elliot, okay. was this the fact that you – was this the part that you were particularly mad about? Because I was mad about this, that this the whole – major conflict is solved by a call to J. Edgar Hoover that didn't happen in real life. And it's like, well, if you had Hoover on your side the whole time, like, what is your problem? Like, Must be nice to have Hoover on your side. Rather than what really happened, which was that Desi came out and gave a heartfelt speech about his wife, which would have been, you know, a much more interesting cinematic rousing Much more moment. interesting and much more on the note, on, on point for the story of the movie, <laughs> which is about their marriage. Like the, I, the, what I think it bothered me that in a couple, I mean, the thing that bothered me the most was the, was the Cuban revolution thing, honestly, but this bothered me second most, but it was partly also because he says, I called everybody to, I called everybody I could to get to this. And it's like, Oh, I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have seen what the man who turns out to be the hero of the movie fighting for his wife and doing all the work uh, as opposed to just seeing the have him tell me that and hear a final phone call much as in the movie the post <laughs> the the uh the the court judgment that uh, allows the pentagon papers to be printed is relayed to us by a woman repeating what she's hearing over the phone <laughs> where it's like a movie you can show us them announcing this like we don't need to it doesn't need to be reported to us by uh, via phone you know but the maybe this is why he was never home well, yeah because he was, <laughs> he was busy busy calling <laughs> And, yeah. uh, I have to keep these calls a secret from Lucy too, so uh-huh. it can be a big surprise. Yeah, big later. dramatic. <laughs> it is crazy, but Danny, I think you're right. That for a movie that has done so much work to gin up kind of fake drama, for it to then 
completely avoid the most real drama that they could have with that moment yeah. is a is a very frustrating thing. But uh, Allison, you wanted to say something earlier, and I'm sorry we interrupted you. Oh yeah, so apparently she wasn't cleared though. I mean, she wasn't. She was like that was that I think the end of it publicly. But I, I think J. Edgar Hoover. Oh no, did... she went to jail. She died in oh, jail. She... Wow. <laughs> no, and definitely. yet again, they didn't show that. No, but I think yeah. that they did like keep records on her and keep tabs on her for years after. I know this because after I watched the movie, then I was griping about it to my husband for so long. And then we watched the episode <laughs> of I Love Lucy. And then both of us were curious, like, what was the real story? So then mm-hmm. we both did some Googling and he encountered something that said that they kept, you know, they were they were like spying on her for years after yeah. this. I well, totally that believe sounds it. like Hoover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, do, even, I, I could imagine Hoover being like, what a hilarious lady. I love her show. She might be a communist, so we're going to watch her for the rest of her life. I love watching Lucy on the TV. Now I can finally watch her in her private life. <laughs> but but it's, it is such a, it's such an anti-dramatic way to end the movie, and it is so, the idea that J. Edgar Hoover is a good guy in it, that they're going to finish everything with a telephone call. Like you said, in the real life, Desi came out and gave this, this inspirational speech about his wife, like end the movie that way. Like why? Yeah. But I guess. Well, I texted you this, you know, beforehand, but like, it feels like Aaron Sorkin's like, no, 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 no. I write the inspiring speeches here, Desi Arnaz. (laughs) You don't get one in my version. Not not realizing that he would get to write this speech in the movie because it's it's a little bit like there's an old story about um, an episode of the Joey Bishop show where Joey Bishop was playing himself and did like an identical brother or identical cousin. And he was mad because the cousin character was getting all the funny lines. And it was like, (laughs) but like it would, he just couldn't figure out, he couldn't accept that even though he was playing both characters, (laughs) he didn't like that the other character who was not him was, was getting the funny lines, you know? Oh man. That's great. uh, So they, they arranged that call. Now that they have J. Edgar Hoover's seal of approval, no one can ever take their show off the air. It's it's good. It's gold forever. Yep. The audience applauds. They can't wait to see Lucy. Uh, and backstage, Desi's like, "We did it, Lucy. I saved you." And Lucy goes, "Have you been cheating on me?" And he goes, "No, no, of course not. I never would." Crazy that it's all ha- like that's like Whiplash, not the J.K. Simmons movie. Like it happens so fast. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Like yay, he, I'm exonerated. But also, I have something to bring up to you. And I think if they had really been able to sell the idea that this is festering in her, this doubt, you know, this worry about his fidelity, then it would have made sense that, like, she just can't hold it in anymore. But instead, right. it just feels like the movie's like, well, we're running out of time. We got to resolve this plot, too. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're about to do the show. Come on, let's do it. And she holds up. She goes, I found this handkerchief with lipstick on it. And he goes, no, no, that's your lipstick, remember? And then she holds up another handkerchief with her lipstick, which is a different shade, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious that she's like, I better have all my evidence on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that she's been walking around all day with, it, yeah. with, with these two handkerchiefs, waiting for the moment to that's spring it. the trap yeah, on him, just- you know? remember which pocket which one's in oh yeah like a great magician and uh, see, and, and he, that that she's like close the doors one of us in here is a philanderer <laughs> let me explain and he goes he goes oh they were just call girls they were hookers it doesn't mean anything it's it there's nothing deeper than that and my wife turned to me at this point and went that's not a good excuse that does not fly <laughs> i was like yeah i know don't worry uh, and she interrupts him she's like i just want to know now we have to start the show like now that that doubt has been has been taken now that she knows she can go do the show, but then there's this like this coda, and I want you guys uh, to maybe oh. explain it to me because I didn't really understand what was going on with it. Uh. The talking heads are back, and they're like, "So Lucy and the director disagreed about this bit where Desi sneaks up behind her and she pretends she doesn't know who he is. Uh, so they did it two ways, and they recorded it the way where she pretends, and it worked fine. And they recorded it the they tried to do it the other way, 
And for the only time in I Love Lucy history, Lucy forgot her lines. And she just kind of blanks and can't remember what the line is. And then they go on and, and they go, we never did a retake of that open. And we shot the rest of the episode and Lucy went on forever. And then there's a piece of text on screen that says, the morning after the Lucy show ended, she filed for divorce from, De- <laughs> from Desi. The morning after I Love Lucy ended. And what, what, well, what is going on when she blanks in the opening so- scene? Is it that she like... At that moment, she no longer loves him, and so she can't play that real scene. She has to play the fake scene, or what's going on? There's a part earlier in it where she talked, like, it says whenever Lucy was in, like, a particularly bleak mood, she said that she has no home. Because, like, she'd, you know, like, all this stuff had happened with her family growing up and and et cetera. So, like, she feels displaced. And then, like, Desi comes in. He does his, Lucy, I'm home. That's the line that triggers her to be, like... Like, she's like, I don't have a home anymore. Like, this man has cheated on me. Like, that is the way I interpreted what was going on there. That makes sense because she was talking earlier about, like, I made this. We were never together even though we were married. We're always apart working. So I made this home and the only place he pays attention to me is this stage. This is is our house. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I didn't get that either. This will – but well, but the thing that makes me mad about it is just, like, this is all – I presume. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I presume this is this part is all I mean, made you, up you, bullshit. You heard a podcast about it. You don't know. I mean, you're an expert now. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not there for the the, <laughs> the the shooting of this particular episode, <laughs> but this feels like just like made up bullshit. So you can have like this emotional ending, and it also like, yeah, she divorced him after I Love Lucy went off the air, which was further down the line, just like nine years, years later, later. Yeah. and like it just makes it feel like again that there was this one instance of philandering and then she divorced him when in reality, yeah, she divorced him because he was sleeping with prostitutes all the time, but it was something that was going on all the time, even during the shooting, even during the episode. I I don't know. Even while she was sleeping with him, he was sleeping with prostitutes at the same time. She was was like, how do you think I don't notice this? We're both in the bed together. (laughs) He's like, Mm -hmm. Lucy, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then she pulls out, one pair of panties is like that's it, your panties, and he pulls out another pair of <laughs> and then, panties. Wait, and then oh. she takes, and then she points to her own her own pelvis where she's still exactly. wearing panties, and she goes, "These yeah. are my panties." <laughs> this goes, "That's no, no, that's your vagina. Uh, <laughs> this is my vagina." But the uh, uh, it, I mean, the implication the is also that the implication is that they did not that from that moment on their marriage was a sham until the end of the, and she only stayed with him right for the show, which is like they I were know, like the, friends till they died, like they could not stay married but they shared a lot of love and like she was there when he died like it it's just a weird way of presenting it but at the same time like the, the i mean their children are executive producers on this movie which means that they oversaw everything because as the movie makes clear you you earn that executive mm. producer title yeah and sure and i know that their her daughter was like they did it they got an honest movie so i don't know maybe that's I wonder which more part she's talking about <laughs> not the cuban revolution stuff <laughs> yeah but, i mean is there any idea why this specific episode? Because so the movie takes place over a week where they're like producing this one episode of the show, and yes, from what I can tell, it's not a particularly exemplary episode. Like it's not one of the standouts. Well, I think that might be part of it. Is that they're they, they is choosing a week where they're just making a regular run of the mill episode rather yeah. than like one with a famous set piece or like uh, mean, that not not her dancing with the eggs in her shirt or Vitamita Vegemin or any of those episodes. You know, and maybe this is the one the communist one like i mean they they compressed it all but yeah. like they could he could be like okay well what was the one i don't think so specific? according to what i read i think they just oh, picked really? an episode yeah that then that's very strange yeah and also this maybe was it's actually, his favorite episode i don't know 
this was the 22nd episode of season one. And in the movie, it's the 37th episode. Yeah. I don't know the significance of that, but it's just it's also funny. Change. Wait, because numerology, they, they, baby. They do say it's the <laughs> they do say it's the 37th, right? Which would be the last episode of the season. But the writers are working, they have a whole board of right. upcoming episodes. And it's like, how far ahead were they working? That <laughs> they're working yeah. on next season's episodes already. But is, I mean, that's how they did it back then. I don't know. It is Aaron does, that, does, anyone, does anyone know? Is Aaron Sorkin like a big I Love Lucy fan? I don't it know. It doesn't seem uh, like it. Not based on the content. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's, I, I kind of had the same reaction to this that I had to West Side Story in some ways where I was like, I don't know why the people who made this felt the need to make this. Like, I don't know what from this Aaron Sorkin felt was the story he wanted to tell or why I mean, he was telling it, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, number one, as you say, he's a, he's a TV nut. But even though he doesn't seem to know anything about it, so he's That's like, what his this business card says. It says Aaron Sorkin TV. Yeah, night. and a number one grandpa. <laughs> this is one of the most important television shows, and it touches on like these political and social issues that I can get on my high horse about. Like, yeah. His horse is very. <laughs> It'd be funny if his Twitter bio was like TV nut husband, uh, <laughs> mushroom <Patriot>. enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> Shroom enthusiast, <laughs> and then and then it's like uh, it's like West Wing guy or something like that. <laughs> but I yeah, I, I mean he also I guess he was not the first person attached to this movie, mm. but uh, so maybe he was just taking a job. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like yeah. it. I don't know. It's well, a movie that it's a movie that feels very like um, yeah, like when you, it, I mean I was very bored by it while watching it. I have to admit, but uh, once it was over, I was like, so that was so that was something about I Love Lucy, but I don't know what. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it's saying. You know, I don't know what the story is meant to communicate other than yeah. what a crazy week. You know who did enjoy it? At the very end, my five-year-old walked in during the scene where he comes up behind her and puts his hands in front of her eyes. <laughs> this is during the movie, not when mm-hmm. I watched the actual episode afterwards. And he laughed and said, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's for what Aaron Sorkin was doing critic. for the five-year-old and yeah. all of us. Yeah. Uh, that does seem like a thing five-year-olds, you know, would enjoy a little peekaboo, a little, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Surprise. He, he's like, they put a new spin on Peekaboo. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Janet Varney. And just like you, I survived high school. And we're not alone. On my podcast, The JV Club, I invite some of my friends to share the highs and lows of their teen years. Like moments with Aisha Tyler. But when you're a kid, the stakes are just pretty low. Go to school, try not to get in trouble, get laid. Jamila Jamil. I watched television probably every waking hour during that time and I was shit-faced on medicine. And Dave Holmes. We talked and talked and then everybody left. It was just us two and I was like, I love you. Learn how you too can be a functioning adult after the drama and heartbreak of high school. Every week on the JV Club with Janet Varney. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a judgment-free show. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
The Flophouse is sponsored in part by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website. Turn your cool idea into a new website with Squarespace blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and more. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers, everything optimized for mobile right out of the box, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, and free and secure hosting. And on a personal note, I just did uh, a, 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 a website for myself, a personal website, uh, you know, for whatever. Just if I get a job or need a job or maybe someone wants to give me a job, it's a good thing to have a website, right? I thought so. I made it with Squarespace. Uh, won't mention <laughs> the, advert the address here because this is a Squarespace ad, not a Dan McCoy ad. But if you look around, you can find it. Anyway, the point is, you should head off to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I made my own site with it. I used the product. It was good. Hey, BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on the show and this month. We're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. A lot of people think, I got to wait till life is, is bad. If I feel bad, uh, uh, my pain is unbearable, whatever, to go to therapy. That's not true. Therapy is a thing, a tool that you can utilize before things get worse. And it can help you avoid the lows, avoid hitting those lows. And... I don't know. I'm in therapy. I don't think that's surprising to anyone, but I will say I think it has uh, made me a better, more thoughtful person, a person more in control and understanding of my emotions. And I recommend therapy. And this podcast, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, which is a customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It can be more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Why not give it a try? See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and the Flophouse listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash flop. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash flop. And before I send you back to the meat of the show, I just want to say that we have a Jumbotron, Jumbotron, Jumbotron. This is from Shonen Flop. And it says... Japanese comics, a.k.a. manga, are the blueprints for almost all anime and are a notoriously cutthroat business. For every Dragon Ball Z, there are hundreds of failed series that got the axe from publishers. On the Shonen Flop podcast, David, Jordan, and guests such as Tim Bat and Xander Cannon, hey, he's been on our show, navigate the world of failed manga. Will they discover a lost gem? or a certified flop. 
Find Shonen Flop on your podcast app of choice, on Twitter at Shonen Flopcast, or at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping. Okay, well, let's do our final judgments. Uh, and this is where we say whether it's a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie uh, you kind of like. We will clarify if you have any questions about these the categories that don't really uh because if cover you if you choose wrong Dan, you'll be punished. yeah you'll the dunk tank <laughs> oh, is no. what happens um, yeah. no i'm gonna look having given out the categories i don't know if this really fits into the usual ones for me because we got to talk about our categories at some point it happens so often that that we have trouble with the categories that's part of the fun i like part of the Here, wait part so of the, dan i put together actually i have an agenda for our next meeting of what things we need to talk about uh-huh. number one okay. kevin yeah, yeah for sure number yeah, two I mean, the categories and then i have an alternate list of things we don't need to talk about the meeting and bruno is number one on those so okay. we got to <laughs> talk you. about kevin we got to no, talk no, about no. the categories we don't need to talk about bruno no. so that's no. just for the meeting next time okay great um now, everybody's talking about Jamie, but I don't know that we have to. We'll put that on a separate list for the meeting. Okay. You know, everybody's doing it, so why can't we? Um, the So I don't, I don't know. Sorkin, sometimes I, I enjoy him very much, and then mm-hmm. sometimes his uh, particular flaws are so big that they mm-hmm. just sink everything. Um, he likes to be clever. He likes to have all of his characters basically talk exactly the same as one another in these clever ways. Uh, he loves grandstanding speeches, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is, I usually find it entertaining. It just depends on whether I find it entertaining good or it's like a hate watch, which is like, I don't think it's good, bad. I think that if you, you know, enjoy Sorkin sometimes, but sometimes he gives you a headache. This is interesting to watch. Because you can be like, oh, why are you doing it this way? And especially because <laughs> the movie is so filled with like information while still being wrong about so much. Like, <laughs> like it is, it might as well be like a, a like a YouTube explainer about I Love Lucy that he's done in <laughs> dramatic style, except for then like a bunch of the facts are wrong. So I I don't know. Yeah, there's a bunch of footnotes in the comments. Yeah. What do you what do you say, Stu? Yeah, I mean, I'm not uh I honestly, I wasn't super familiar with I Love Lucy when I was a kid. I'm sure I saw some episodes on Nick at Night, um, but it didn't have seem to have a particularly big place in my brain. Uh, but I found like particularly I found like Nicole Kidman's performance was very off putting. Uh, I most of the scenes are fairly flat. It's all that like walk and talk, like overly snappy kind of mean. Everybody's mean to each other dialogue. I'm they not are all it. very mean to each other. Yeah. Um, and it turns out all the stuff I learned was wrong. So <laughs> fuck you, movie. Uh, so I'm going to say bad, bad. Yeah, I'm also going to say bad, bad. I found it very boring. And um, some people in it were trying. And there were some moments that were amusing. But overall, I was I was left bored and baffled. That's right. B and B. A classic oh, Airbnb in that I was breathing air and I was bored and baffled while watching the movie. Allison, what do you think? I, th- I You probably liked it, right? I loved it. I don't know. I don't. When you said that we're going to do Bean the Ricardos, I thought, but this is the flop house. I thought we'd talk about trash and this is a gemstone. Um, I was on the edge. No, I also give it two Bs. Bad, bad. Um, I found it very unenjoyable to watch. Uh, and if I if we weren't going to be talking about it, I would have turned it off. And oh, yeah. you know, yeah. also like Stuart, I uh, I love Lucy was not 
you know, I'm, like I'm sure I've seen episodes, but I never really paid attention to them. And then afterwards I did go watch an episode and I found myself laughing and really enjoying it. So uh, oh, this so movie does a disservice that. to the show. Yeah, it's a it's a fun show. I mean, I grew up in a very I Love Lucy uh, loving household because mm-hmm. my mom was a big fan, and and so it's uh, and probably continues to be, but she doesn't doesn't talk about it that much anymore. But uh, like it's, Bruno, yeah, <laughs> we 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 don't talk about Lucy. She's anymore. more into uh, the dictator and uh, <laughs> what's the other know. other ones? Yeah, what, made? No, Borat. <laughs> yeah, now what it, if they if no, let's think if in Encanto it was the movie Bruno they weren't talking about, I would totally get it. There's you know <laughs> you want to avoid it, but the. It yeah, it's like a. This is the movie equivalent of like you go out for a meal, and they're like, "Oh no no, we only serve protein shakes here." And you're like, "Okay, well at least it's gonna have the nutrients of a meal." And you drink the whole thing, and it tastes chalky. And they're like, "Actually, there were no nutrients in that." And you're like, "What? So why did I drink it?" <laughs> thanks for thanks for uh, putting it in words I'll understand. Yeah, <laughs> I had to translate it into stewies. Yeah. <laughs> like so, wait, I'm not getting gains from this. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it was just a slog, but it wasn't yeah. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, it, what it, what yeah. it lacked in excitement, it gained in disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I like, did, if you're going to make up a story, make a fucking good one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wondered, was there source material this was based on? And it seems like there was not. Hence, like we're saying, he made up so much of everything. Yes. Yeah, and when you realize you can just make up a story like, I don't know, do like a Lord of the Rings dragons. or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, yeah, yeah, have, yeah, have, have Lucy have Ball throw Mount Doom. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Well, let's uh, uh, go on to letters from listeners. Listeners like you, you write them, and then they go through the internet, and I get them, and I uh, read them on the air. That's uh-huh. how it works. I didn't need to explain it in such detail. This is from Chris, last name withheld. And Chris writes, fellas, Let's have a chat. It's been <laughs> it's going to be hard when we can't talk really back to him, but I guess we could do it through like he sends a letter or she he they send a letter and then we respond and they send another letter like a chest by mail type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's have a chat. It's band. been nearly 3 years since Tom Hooper's Cats and your episode about <laughs> it came out. But earlier this month, I was struck with <laughs> Stuart, an, I suddenly saw this look on the face of Stuart just feeling very old that it's been 3 years <laughs> yeah, since yeah. then. <laughs> Oh God, I'm, especially because I'm like Night from the Crusades. That was one of the last <laughs> movies we saw before the pandemic. Yeah. Dan, I also think you misread that. You should have said Ants Man almost three <laughs> years since. <laughs> Just for Aaron Sorkin's sake. He's listening yeah. to this episode, you know. But earlier this month, I was struck with an intense cat's fever that snowballed <laughs> out of control. It could be feline resulted- AIDS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. That is a good point. Or cat scratch fever. Mm, no, we're uh, not giving Ted Nugent no? money. Okay. No, I mean that we don't ever stew. We I don't think we have to pay for <laughs> We've that. We've never but. paid oh for God. me singing <laughs> one part use. of cat scratch finger. Uh, cat's fever that snowballed out of control and resulted in me spending full days watching the cat's movie, followed by filmed cat's stage shows, uh-huh. followed by your cat's episode, followed by listening to my favorite songs on repeat. Despite Elliot teasing the audience that the Flophouse might do a yearly cat extravaganza that never occurred. Yeah, we've never I'm done a, it. I'm a gracious listener, and since you seem to get such joy from the movie, I'd like to inform you of two cats facts. Number one. Number one, the word facts has all the letters in cats plus one extra. <laughs> Ooh. I guess that is a fact. News is news. <laughs> Prove um, me wrong, Dan. Prove me wrong. It's a cat f- <laughs> That's a cat for all right. <laughs> uh, 
in the recording of the 1998 <laughs> stage production during Rum Tub Rum Tub Tugger's song. <laughs> I like a even lot, just reading the name makes Dan smile. <laughs> it's hard to say without giggling. Rum Tum Tugger song. A lot of the choreography is concerned with Rum Tum Tugger's undulating hips and pelvic thrusting. And at one point, there's a lady cat kneeling on the ground and he pelvic thrusts directly into her face. She then swoons and has to be held back by some other cats. And almost immediately after she's set upright, Rum Tum Tugger approaches her again and puts something, we have no idea what, in her mouth, which she then eats with delight. He struts away, and we are given no explanation for why that just happened. That's a little cat's moment from the stage show. So is Number that two, the fact? Because that's not really a fact. That's just not kind of really like a, a fact. It's just it's kind a of a thing. It's a play-by-play. Play. Yeah. Number two, I regret I believe it was – well, I will <laughs> say this is – there was at one point when – I think there might have been a Daily Show piece about it. A woman was suing the production of Cats in New York before it closed because she was in the audience, and I believe the actor playing Rum Tum Tugger came up and, like, thrusted his pelvis in her face oh, as dear. part of it. Like, she would go into the audience, I guess, and, and be yeah. sexy in front of the audience, and she did not care for that. And I think no, – I, I wouldn't I either. I, think that's I don't a, know how the case went, but I think there was a lawsuit. I yeah. think they should not have uh, choreographed it in that fashion. No. Number two – I regret to inform you that as opposed to the movie where Monkstrap is, as you said, a cat so boring that he has no discerning qualities and can only sing about other cats, he does have one standout quality in the stage production, which is that he is Monkstrap the racist cat. Mm. Yes, you, you may say that Tom Hooper did everything wrong with this movie, but he did make one good decision, which was removing the particular song from the movie, The Awful Battle of the Peaks and the Pollicles. This is a song that comes right after Old Dute arrives in which all the Jellicle cats put on a play for him about a fight between the Pollicle dogs, presumably the dog equivalent of the Jellicles, and the Peak dogs, who seem to be distinguished from Pollicle dogs purely by their being Chinese breeds. Monkstrap narrates the play and at some point sings, Now the Peak, although people may say what they please, is no British dog but a heathen Chinese. And soon after... And together they started to grumble and wheeze in their huffery, snuffery, heathen Chinese. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah, that's like Dr. Seuss did a polish on yeah, T.S. Those, those, those are the pages that they take out of the Dr. Seuss books now. Yeah. yeah. Of course, they're not, they're referring to dogs here, not people, but you know. Oh, okay. Then it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then, Why didn't you say? Yeah. Then, then bafflingly, once the cats are done with their play, they look to old Doot for approval. And his response is essentially, cats, dogs, what does it matter? We will both come to dust in the end. And you're like, uh, what? Prompted me <laughs> to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that you've experienced the epic highs and lows of my it. cats facts, I mean, again, we're not sure about the facts, but it was interesting. <laughs> I have an entirely unrelated question. Have you ever had a movie or a book, album, comic, or anything, I guess, that you for some reason had a very specific impression of that you thought everyone on earth must have only to go out in the real world and discover that your impression was horribly, horribly mistaken in some way. Bonus points if it's super embarrassing. Thanks, Chris Redacted. Well, I thought Cats wasn't racist, which apparently is not true, so mm. there's that. Well, first, before we get to that question, Allison, have you seen Cats? I saw the show when I but was not young. The movie. I have not seen mm -hmm. the movie. Is it enjoyable bad or just bad bad? Uh, I I think we all think it's very enjoyable. I think I need to see it. Maybe I'll yeah. watch that today the, on a television that's not playing the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's not a second in that movie that you're not like, someone made this movie. <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> this was a choice. <laughs> and and uh, and there's two. I and I think there's two really great 
dance scenes in it. Uh, and just when the movie starts to flag, that's when, that's right, the railroad cat comes out uh, and he is just does an amazing tap dance and he's like a just, he's a gay icon and everything. So I Very love cool. tap dancing. I love Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I love mm-hmm. T.S. Eliot, some of T.S. Eliot. Yeah, so yeah. I think I should mm-hmm. see it. Which is the railroad cat? Is it Skimble Pants? Is that his Skimble name? Skimble Shanks. Skimble Shanks. Skimble Shanks. Yeah. The uh, yeah. So it's well worth it's well worth seeking out. I think we you know what, guys we should do an annual cat. We should watch Cats again at least with <laughs> yeah, okay. with, with Jenny and Natalie. Maybe and we the, can bring other people. Uh, star of the show Allison, or maybe hello. star of the show Hallie. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Hallie. How now? The actual Cats movie does have buttholes or does not? So, I mean, the performers have buttholes somewhere on their person, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, under the costumes. So, there's there are conflicting uh, reports about the butthole cut. There, <laughs> It seems like the buttholes were not necessarily intentionally meant to be buttholes, but a, an artifact of the way the CGI was and well, looked in the context of wearing cat suits like well, buttholes, what but I would, we're what not I, sure. People, I mean, I can be. I mean, I assume Todd Vaziri will write in and correct me on this, but uh, <laughs> one of the all CGI characters start with buttholes, and then they have to be painstakingly erased. So Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> Gollum, sure. uh, all the uh, you know. Killer Croc or whatever, all the Transformers, they all have buttholes originally. And then it has, that's just, just part for of the accuracy. Yeah, yeah, just right. Well, it's just the way the computer oh. graphics work. And uh-huh. they have to be erased frame by frame, uh, much like a Henry Cavill mustache. And so it's, yeah, so I, maybe they just forgot to do it for a cut of cats, you know? You never know. Um, well, yeah, if nothing else, this will encourage you to watch cats. Uh, what was the question? So have you ever had a movie or something that you had a specific impression of that you thought everybody knew? Well, I think this wasn't embarrassing, but I think I've talked to before. I may have been shouted down on the show about it, about my interpretation of the song Norwegian Wood by the Beatles, where it seems that everybody but me agrees that the main narrator of the song burns down this woman's house at the end, which – I always, I, I never, I never took that interpretation. I never assumed it, and it was, it stopped being a meaningful song to me once it gained that interpretation of a story. I, when it was, a, when it was a, a song about a man who goes out on a date with a woman, ends up at her home, wants to sleep with her. She seems to want to sleep with him, but he cannot figure out how to make it happen because he's just so awkward around her. And when he wakes up the next morning, she's gone, and he lights a fire for himself and just thinks about this missed opportunity. Like, that really struck home to me. And when people are like, no, no, at the end, he burns her house down. I was like, well, then it's no longer a story I can I, relate to. I like, don't think you have to take that as a gospel interpretation. Okay. It's just something that I think is out there in the world as interpretation. Okay, because that song, it had an important place for me as a kid where I was like, this is one of the first songs I remember hearing about where it was like, this feels like a grown-up situation. This is a real grown-up mm. situation that is not just like, I love you or I'm so mad or whatever. And for it to end with a Tales from the Crypt-esque ending was, it was like, so it was it just always a disappointment to me. I mean, so that I guess, was a show for adults when I was a kid. <laughs> I guess that's true. It was rated um, R, man. <laughs> But, uh, uh, I don't know. Like there was a time on this podcast where I recommended a movie, uh, based almost entirely on my belief that the, uh, titular character rips off his own ding dong, uh, in <laughs> yeah, the film. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that time. apparently and really, even the director has, uh, has sounded off, sounded off and, uh, RIP Stuart Gordon sounded yeah, off and told me that I was wrong. Yeah. Him I can't no, convince him now. Um, I mean, there's so, no, there's no convincing. We've all seen the movie. There's, it doesn't, doesn't happen. It's called Castle Freak. Uh, directed by Stuart Gordon, um, and I I, uh, I I recommended the film based on the merit that the Castle Freak uh, rips off a lot of stuff, including his own <laughs> ding dong. 
but nope. In fact, uh, having multiple views, you heard it here first, folks. I'll admit that having watched the movie many times, you know what? I don't think. Thank God. I don't now think it. Yeah. Healing can begin. Yeah, we can finally. put this to bed. Uh, Do you still recommend it though, or only if he rips off his ding dong? You know what? Having watched it multiple times, you know, as we said, going painstakingly frame by frame right. to erase buttholes, uh, <laughs> I. Uh, in order to prove myself right, you know what? I learned to find a lot of things to love about that movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, I, I guess I'll list. be recommending Castle Freak. <laughs> I mean, for anyone listening, if you haven't seen Castle Freak, it's a very rough movie. Like, it's a grim movie. There's, yeah. Yeah, even, it's even gross. Though, even though there's no scene of him ripping off his own ding-dong, there are other things in it there's that are difficult to watch. evidence that it's been removed. <laughs> there's, yeah, evidence. It's not there. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this, like, fully is the best answer to this specific question, but... It, well, we'll be the judges it, that. It's a, it's adjacent. <laughs> I When I was a kid, I had really weird sort of pop culture heroes, like out, out of step with... Michael uh, Jackson, O.J. Simpson, Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. uh, Harvey Weinstein. No. Harvey yeah. Weinstein. Yeah. Weinstein. <laughs> he was really yeah. into Harvey Weinstein. And As Epstein. a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood, like it seems like... Very old. <laughs> I mean, they're perfectly good childhood heroes if you were born in the 1880s. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I just remember that, like, I had a uh, a birthday when I was a young kid that was Robin Hood themed. That like we, like my parents made a bunch of, like little felt green hats for us, and oh, like there cool. was a toy arrow game. And no, I mean, I, you know, it it was fun. I had a great uh, birthday. In retrospect. I think that my friends probably are all, were all like, "This this guy's weird. Why why is why is there a Robin Hood theme to this?" Uh, I mean, you were twenty three at the time. That's why. It's yeah, that was the problem. Yeah. That was the problem. Uh, Allison, is there anything that you're thinking of? Yeah, but can I also judge your answer? Sure. Because I say no, that doesn't that doesn't work for this question. It doesn't answer the question. That's no. for sure. I mean, he said oh. it was adjacent, but I don't know that it is. It seems like your your impression I was think- that Robin Hood was cool, which is like yes. more of an opinion than a misinterpretation. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, I, uh, uh, I, you know, you you caught me, Alice. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> when I was on Jordan Jesse Go, I talked yeah, about talk our about little Twitter feud, <laughs> uh-huh. and Jesse was like, "You chose the worst guy to have a Twitter feud with because." And by the way, I didn't start it um, because <laughs> he's just gonna like you know think about it and feel bad. So now I'm. Is is that your thing? Thinking about things and feeling bad? It's kind of my thing it's because one of my things. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I don't yeah, want that's one of his big things. Yeah. One of your big yeah, yeah. things. Okay. Biggest, I'm just yeah. kidding. Your answer was totally fine. No, I. <laughs> it's it perfectly was funny. acceptable. What was the, it was, was funny when like was I was here? listening to that episode. It was such a it was such a weird combination of like Stuart. You'll understand this. Uh, you know, not distinguishing between bad and good attention. I was like, oh, oh yeah. they're talking about me. That's great. But also feeling like, <laughs> oh, people who don't know any of us, or maybe they'll take this seriously and think. So the beef uh, was Jesse was talking about Amish hats. And okay. I quickly Googled and found that the name of these Amish hats are, they're called scribblers. And so we had a lot of fun with that. And then Dan Googled and saw that there's like, some Amish publication called The Scribbler where they had written about the hat. And so he thought that I had, I was confused. Um, Mm. But then I found something that, I know, can you believe the temerity? And then I found something that said the hat is called The Scribbler. So, (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm fully, uh, I will accept the villain role here because I was a, a guy making a correction on the internet. Uh, yeah. You, you explained me. The yeah. reason why <laughs> I... That's why, that's why you and me think alike. <laughs> that's right. We, say, that's we right. think the same things and say them. <laughs> the only reason why I thought this was okay was because I wanted to join in uh, the fun with my podcast pals and Jordan and Jesse Go have a thing that like... If if you make a correction, you actually tweet it at JD Power to avoid. That was uh, funny. Get, so I'm like, yeah, I'll play into this like s- this like bit of JD Power, but I I I tagged Allison in part because I wanted to know like, is this like did she see something different than me? Because like it's such a fun fact that I kind of wanted to be proven wrong and know that it was indeed the scribbler. But what I had been seeing was not that. But anyway, I, I will stop trying to justify myself. I'm, I, I'm sorry for Really? Because it seems like you're still doing that. Yeah. yeah it sounds like, uh, it sounds like it you just It was all some fun. And look, it led you know? to me being a guest on this podcast and unseating Hallie. So I have two uh-huh. answers to Chris <laughs> yeah. Redacted's question. <laughs> yep. um, my best friend growing up was Mormon and we used to watch the show Small Wonder. So for a long time afterwards, I thought that Small Wonder was religious programming. <laughs> I thought it, really it was a, seems... a Mormon, wholesome Mormon yeah. show. But like, remember that? What was it? Was there a show called uh, Sammy and Goliath? Or There's Davy and Goliath. That's... Yeah, yeah, that was a religious Sammy. show. Yes, I thought it was like that. Um, okay, so. Or like Just the Ten of Us was, was a religious show. Was, was it? it? What? Yeah, because they're like. Because there's they so have many, many kids. Of them. Yeah. yeah. Coach like Lubbock super Christian. definitely, yeah. Coach Lubbock and his wife wow. definitely were not using any sort of devil's contraception. Yeah, um, absolutely. I thought it was just because he needed to feel it. <laughs> I thought it was yeah, just, yeah. I thought you know, there was he a premise of the show. He has a weird shaped wiener, okay, guys? <laughs> normal, then, normal then, human condoms don't work for Coach that was, They did an episode about that, but it was pulled by the network where he talks about his inability to find a condom that fits his feet. I feel like I also, like, I feel like I also, while uh, I, uh, I went on a trip through Europe with an ex-girlfriend and we, like, crashed in, uh, I think, like, Nice or somewhere, and I remember we were watching on TV and we found the one station that had English uh, programming and there was an episode of Just the Ten of Us. And it, there's like a moment where Coach Lubbock is like praying to God and there's like a light on him. And I'm like, this oh, just wow. confirms it. It does ring a bell that there that he was religious. Um, and my other one, and I don't know if this really, Dan, you'll have some company in your Jason mm. answer. I don't know how much this really qualifies. But when I saw Napoleon Dynamite, and I don't know how you guys feel about that movie, but when I saw it, I was like, this is a bunch of manufactured nostalgic trash. Um, I <laughs> yeah. really, I had a strong distaste for that movie. And then I, um, tons of people that I like and respect like that movie. So that was one where I was convinced that we all must be having the same specific reaction. And then yeah. I'm, I guess I'm kind of alone. Yeah, I I mean, I've experienced that from the other side of like thinking like, oh, this is going to be a huge blockbuster because it's so fun. And then it bombing hard. <laughs> like when I saw the the Frighteners, I was like, this will oh, be well, that's great. that's a fun movie, yeah. And then, and then no one went to see it. But Nobody yeah. else was Dan, as interested in You put all that ju- stock into John Carter merch and that <laughs> just didn't go anywhere, man. I am far more on your side with 
Napoleon okay. Dynamite. Yeah, yeah I, f- I find Napoleon Dynamite uh, hard to hard to take in large doses. But I think that Dan that Dan's <laughs> watching the Frighteners as like a teenager, and uh, he's seeing the scene where John Aston as a ghost of a cowboy is having sex with a mummy, and he's like, "This is a <laughs> huge hit. This is gonna be a huge hit." <laughs> I love the idea that you're defining uh, a movie of Napoleon Dynamite as like a large amount. Like, would you yes. prefer it to be in like quibby sized chunks? Very, very if it was much like so. that, you'd be like, "This is great." Very, I I mean, not tweet. great necessarily, but like if it was, if it was, if you cut took that same movie and cut it up into five minute episodes, I'd be like, oh yeah, I could watch a couple of these in a row. I'm not gonna watch the whole thing, but yeah, you know. Uh, so our second and final question is from, or not question, just uh, well, I guess there's a question here. Adam, last name with let's home. let how let us be the judges, Dan. Rather than <laughs> yeah, you I'm sorry, your brains I started a it. sentence that I was unsure of. Now, did this it one also get sent to you and then come to you through the internet and then now you're reading it on the show? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You grasped the idea. I'm so glad that you made that clear. Uh, Now, guys, before we get to this letter, I do want to mention that uh, I've done some research, and I think I understand the origin of the butthole cut of Cats. Uh Originally, the soundtrack was performed by the butthole surfers, and then and so that's that cut. And then they they came to a disagreement, and they had to have the actors sing the songs. It was very expensive (laughs) because they had to reshoot the whole movie. Uh Uh, Makes sense. Uh, Adam, last name withheld, writes. Howdy, floppers. I recently listened back to the 2017 episode, The Accountant, where Stu briefly introduces his own Louisiana-based character, Gumbo Stu. <laughs> First, I'd like to note that this precedes Elliot's introduction of Crawdaddy oh, by, by several years, yeah, yeah. and therefore I believe Elliot owes Stu's, Stu royalties. Second, I'm wondering what you would pitch as a Gumbo Stew slash Crawdaddy crossover. Oh, Romantic man. comedy? A Toho-style Gumbo Stew versus Crawdaddy? What? Oh, we got a, also, we got a hot mystery, I think. <laughs> yeah. Where does Noir Kid fit in all this? Here's a flop of two to Adam, last name withheld. Now, I, I do want to say, I think as great as Gumbo Stew is, I feel like Crawdaddy has a premise, which is that he's from the Louisiana Bayou, but now he lives in suburban Connecticut. So, <laughs> whereas Gumbo Stew is just kind of like a, a guy, right? Like, like usual. <laughs> <laughs> I tossed out the beginnings of an idea that Elliot then made mm. much better. Oh, <laughs> uh, we do that, that. That happens. That happens sometimes. So I think if I was going to pitch a movie, it would be about it's a real country mouse, city mouse type story or okay. a back to your root story where maybe uh-huh. either a gumbo stew goes Sweet to visit Crawdaddy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Crawdaddy comes home and realizes he doesn't fit in anymore, and Gumbo Stew has to teach him how to get back into the bayou. Or mm-hmm. Gumbo Stew visits Crawdaddy and is aghast that Crawdaddy is all about being an insurance executive <laughs> and stuff like that. And he has to, and he forces, and he yeah. takes, kidnaps him and takes him back to the bayou yeah. to teach him how to be himself again. You know? Yeah, there's got to be like some fish out of water elements, some like mm-hmm. Beverly Hillbillies type stuff. Like, yeah. you know, Gumbo Stew is trying to like wash his clothes in a, I don't know, like a, the, fountain at a public park or something. He's, he's, he sticks, he's, st- he's trying to stuff his clothes into the Keurig coffee maker in the kitchen <laughs> and <laughs> to, to wash them. Yeah. That, and uh, the, uh, you know what? This is kind of like Hook in a way. We're like, yeah, Crawdaddy has like kind of Hook, Another huge success. Yeah. And uh, and he has to go back and Was rediscover Hook a that. big success? I feel like I loved it when I was a kid and I say bang ring all the time still. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it was only only one appropriate, which is when something very good happens. So Hook was a critical flop, but according to Wikipedia, on a budget of seventy million dollars, it made three hundred million dollars. Whoa! I don't know what the marketing costs were, but that seems like like a success. Like some buffo bo, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the last segment. Allison, do you have any any Louisiana based characters you'd like to introduce? Oh my god! Um, Swamp Al. 
Nice. Okay. That's me. Swamp Al. <laughs> Swamp Al. Mm. Yeah. And I also wash my clothes in coffee makers. <laughs> you got to do it. And I make my coffee in a boot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you make your coffee in a washing machine and it's so much coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is sounding more and more like the like improvised song off of I Think You Should Leave. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I make my coffee in a boot. Uh, <laughs> just details. Um, okay. Well, the last thing we do on the show is we recommend movies that we've seen, usually recently because they're on our mind, but whatever. Uh, that we like. Maybe you should watch it instead of uh, being the Ricardos. Almost certainly. I'm going to uh, absolutely start off real quick because <laughs> I don't have much to say about the movie other than Stu invited me on a movie date a little ways back. We saw yeah. Jackass Forever. I had never seen a, Took some a, edibles. a full Jackass movie or show even. Um, I'd seen individual stunts, which uh, maybe I would laugh a little bit, but my nervousness about personal injury uh kept me from enjoying it but i discovered the secret of jackass which is like one stunt on its own might be too much but uh 50 stunts in a row is exactly the right number it's a master class of pacing yeah i i just i laughed a lot and at the end i was just there were moments when i was sort of falling out of my seat uh just with a combination of discomfort and laughter so i've i've been brought around i mean partly because also they're also old right now that it's kind of i kind of watch it i'm like oh you know they're just like me um anyway (laughs) yeah jackass is like they're just like us what about uh you Stu? uh i'm gonna recommend a movie from this year that i don't think i've recommended yet uh i'm gonna recommend a movie from the director of heartbeeps that's right. I'm going to recommend The Card Counter, directed <laughs> no, by Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Just for the record, Paul Schrader did not direct Heartbeeps. We, we know this. Just we right, can this agree to Stewart's, disagree on this, this one. Um, this Stewart's new ripoff, The Ding Dong, is, is <laughs> that Paul Schrader directed Heartbeeps. Uh, so it is a movie where Oscar Isaac plays a very cool dude who counts cards and got out of jail. Uh, he's he's got so a, cool. He has to wrap every piece of furniture in his hotel room with a sheet. That's true. Uh, he's got a, let's say, a complicated past featuring Will, uh, Willem Dafoe, uh, and he uh, has a friendship with Tiffany Haddish, and it's a movie about professional gambling that doesn't, like, where the gambling part of it isn't actually that important. Uh, it's just like a fun character study, and it's great. <laughs> And I would say a, fun, like it's a revenge movie. I thought it was fun. Uh, it also had me uh, Googling. Rolling in the aisle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It had me Googling Oscar Isaac sunglasses card counter, and I found out they're not that bad. They're like only 250 bucks. So <laughs> why don't you send not me some money bad. so I can buy some uh, <laughs> for sunglasses. But. Seems. For something I will immediately lose, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. But I mean, in all, like, you know, all things considered, like, they could be, what, like $10 million. I don't know what sunglasses cost. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bubble that the flop house apparently lives in. That yeah, I don't yeah. know the price of sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie uh, from another country. That's right. It's I'm Your Man from Germany, Ich bin dein Mensch, starring uh, Maren Eggert and Dan Stevens, Flophouse favorite Dan Stevens. Um, and it's the story of uh, an academic who, uh, in order to secure, or it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a under-the-table quid pro quo, uh, to get more funding for the work she's doing in uh, archaeological studies, she agrees to 
three weeks of product testing with a robot man who's supposedly designed to be her perfect partner. And I thought that uh, I just really liked it a lot. I thought it was a really charming movie. It's a real small scale science fiction character study. And I, I like the characters in it. I felt like it was the most uh, emotionally real portrayal I've seen so far of someone with a romance with a written a romance with a with a mechanical object. Take that, her and uh, <laughs> and I just really liked it. It was uh, Germany's uh, entry for the Oscars, but it was not selected as a nominee for best international that's feature a, film. It's a tough category. It is. It's this and this that's year. a hard category, especially this year. And this movie was probably a little lightweight in some ways uh, for that category, especially this year. But uh, but I really liked it a lot. So that's uh, I'm your man. Um, if you want to watch a kind of German romantic comedy ish that uh, is charming and sometimes funny and sometimes very serious and sweet. I just I'm imagining me like thinking like, oh, what am I in the mood for? Mm, a German romantic comedy ish. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like I kept thinking about how like Germany is not the country you think of as romantic comedy. But there's also like – was it Mostly Martha, the movie that they remade with Catherine Zeta-Jones where that's a German romantic comedy. It's really good. I mean it's at this point 20-some-odd or 30 years old, you know. So every 30 years I guess Germany comes out with a real good, real solid romantic comedy, you know. Is it subtitled or dubbed? Uh, The one I watched was subtitled. And the funny thing was that it had been recommended to me and I did not know at first that it was a German movie. So when the credits came up in German, I was like, wait a minute. And then <laughs> I, the whole, and because Dan Stevens, who is not German, is yeah. the co-lead. I was like, is this, is this dubbed in German? But they're speaking, I can tell from their lip flap that they're speaking German. Like this is, so. Wait, uh, Dan Stevens speaks German? I get, unless he learned all oh, of his wow. lines phonetically and Tony Banderas in the Mambo King style, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Allison, do you have a, a movie you'd like to recommend? Yes. So I just watched a movie that um, quite possibly you guys have all already seen and your audience as well, but I watched the 1975 version of Stepford Wives mm-hmm. and I had never seen it. I A thing about me is I, um, I scare very easily, so I generally can't handle horror, can't handle scary movies. And when I was a kid, I had a babysitter that watched Stepford Wives, and I saw, like, you know, the funny thing is that it's really not a scary movie, but there are a couple scenes that are, like, um, scary. And so I had seen one of these scary scenes when I was a kid, and that movie, just the idea, I was very afraid of, like, Superman 3, as silly as that is. Like, I was very afraid of robots and things like that. Yeah. So that movie always... Uh, kind of haunted me when I was young. And I don't know what compelled me to check it out very recently, um, but I decided I could probably handle it. And I, I, I mean, it's, there's issues with the movie, but I really did enjoy it. And I was able to go to sleep right after and I didn't have nightmares. So if anyone out there also avoids all scary things, I think you might enjoy this movie. I, I love that. It's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, no, that's a, most I, of the stuff I recommend is super gross or, yeah, I mean, mainly. I feel like we get a fair number of emails from people who are like, I want to watch a scary movie, but I don't want to get scared. So this, yeah. is, this is a very- Wives. Yeah, I mean, my husband, who who does enjoy scary things, was surprised. And he and I have this ongoing debate about whether something is really horror or not. Because, like, I didn't see Squid Game. I watched the trailer for Squid Game, and I was like, there's no way I can handle that. And he kept insisting it's not horror. And I'm like, everything about it seems like horror to me. <laughs> um, I get, though, that Stepford Wives is more, like, drama thriller than horror. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, uh, you know, I feel like nowadays it's almost, it almost feels like a quaint movie. The things yeah. that there's the tension about in the movie are, are kind of quaint. The uh, when when it, I feel like it's a, it's a horror movie similarly to um, 
in the way that when people ask me if they uh, for a scary movie that's not that scary, I usually recommend the others. Also mm. with Nicole Kidman, which is a movie I love, but it's and like the Shepherd Mives re- remake with Nicole. Well, Kidman. but I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> that's the thing. But, and it's a and it's like a ghost story, but it's not a it's not a horror horror. Like there's nothing in it where you're gonna shield your eyes because mm-hmm. you didn't want to yeah. see that. You know, unlike uh, the, uh, my wife and I, we recently watched Yellow Jackets, and we both really enjoyed it a lot. But nothing early, gross in not, there. <laughs> I didn't realize how gory it was right off the bat, and I was like, even yeah. the thing that happens before the plane crash is really gory. <laughs> yeah, there were so many scenes where she's where I had the pleasure of of watching something while she told uh, uh, watching something while also be on being on when can my wife go back to looking <laughs> patrol? So, yeah, maybe Yellow yep. Jackets is what like made me think I could handle it because I really did surprisingly enjoy yellow jackets. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, maybe there's more that I could watch. So here's the question. Could I handle The Shining? Uh, that's a good question. That's a pretty <laughs> scary movie. That's a pretty scary movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty scary movie. And I think The Shining, it's also the the atmosphere in it is genuinely really frightening. Like there's some blood gore stuff, but it's like that's a movie where from moment one, I feel like the movie is is daring you to to be not be creeped out. You know, yeah, I don't know. If I, it's less actual gore that uh, stays with me than disturbing ideas. That's what really gets me. Oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> so I have, okay. I have a pamphlet that's going to terrify you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we've come to the end of our show. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank Allison very much for quashing our beef and uh, coming on the show. <laughs> mm, thank uh, you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? I know that we asked you towards the beginning, but yeah. again. I mean, just, you know, check out my podcast. Allison Rosen is your new best friend, uh, Childish, and the new one, Upworthy Weekly. And uh, for us, I will promote us and say, hey, listener, if you have a moment, go to iTunes, leave us a review, spread the word on Twitter or whatever you like to use, something nicer than Twitter, maybe. You can follow there the Flophouse. There aren't any, Dan. They're all, they're all cesspools. <laughs> At the Flophouse Pod on Twitter. At the Flophouse Podcast on Instagram. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com, the Flophouse Podcast. And um, if, you have, if you if you like merch, it's on our website. We're a member of Maximum Fun. Go to maximumfun.org to check out all the great podcasts on that network. Allison Rosen, as mentioned before, uh, has uh, been on Jordan Jesse Go many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you like her here, there's other podcasts to discover with her on Max Fun in addition to her own podcasts. Uh, thank you to our producer, Alex Smith, who is at Howell Dottie on Twitter. If you want to see what he's up to, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. I'm Ellie Kalen. And I'm Allison Rosen. Bye. Okay, we're going to do the intro, and then we're going to roll into the show. Um... Being the recorders. Recorders. Being the (laughs) recorders. Being the recorders. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're doing. We are being them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. On this episode, we discuss Being the Ricardos. The sequel to Being John Malkovich, but this time it's about the Ricardos. I think we can do dumber. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.